traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land, land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Before we get to your thoughts on Blairy Man, I'd maybe like to add a few more of my own. I think in the last episode when Brandon and I discussed Blairy Man, maybe part of that discussion did get a bit bogged down a little in the negative aspects of fandom, and maybe it wasn't completely the celebration of this final episode that I intended it to be. So let's consign that to a dark corner of the Twilight Zone once and for all. And let's get back to celebrating what we love because unashamedly I love this new Twilight Zone and last week at the end of Blairy Man was probably one of the most magical things that I've ever seen on television. I guess one of the things about doing these conversation style shows so soon after the episodes have aired is that they are kind of hot takes, much more hastily put together than my usual shows, and after I've done them, often when things have settled down, some things kind of click into place or settle into place a bit more, and there are a couple of things that have settled down a bit for me about Blairy Man. Now when we discussed it in the last episode, there was a point where I said, or we said, I can't recall, but it was as if Rod Serling arrived and he spoke to Sophie, and it was kind of saying, you've got the Twilight Zone wrong by focusing too much on the issues and not enough on the childlike wonder of it. And if that's the case, then what does that mean for the previous nine episodes? Does that mean that they've got the Twilight Zone wrong? And I think my mistake there was one of language. I don't think it was a case of they've got the Twilight Zone wrong, but one of presenting it from a particular perspective. It's still very valid, and it's still a perspective that the Twilight Zone often used. The message shows, the serious shows. And I've said things close to what Sophie says before on this show. I've often said that when I was a kid it was about the twist endings and the mind-bending nature of it. But as an adult, the messages began to emerge, and I spent a lot of time on this show discussing those messages and trying to decipher what they are. So that doesn't mean that message Twilight Zone episodes are wrong, it's just one aspect of the Twilight Zone. So this first season mainly focused on that aspect, the message shows, and I recall a couple of things that I've said earlier on in this run. In one episode, I was commenting on critics who had seen the first four episodes and how they were saying, well, the original Twilight Zone did this, but this new Twilight Zone doesn't do that. And my response to that was, well, you can't really get the full Twilight Zone experience in four episodes. And I also said that sometimes we've got to believe that there's a plan. We need to just trust that it's there and sit back and enjoy the ride. And I said in a later episode, that it was as if this Twilight Zone was saying, look how strange our world has become. So to speak to these three points, and I'm not saying I've made some great predictions or anything like that, it's just things that I've said throughout it. 
And I still think these things. Not only can you not get the complete Twilight Zone experience in 4 episodes, but you can't get it in 10 episodes either. But that seems to actually be part of the plan. And I think in Blurry Man, it's not only the culmination of season 1, but it's also part of that plan. Because yes, our world has gotten strange, and this season is commenting on that. It's a theme and it's an arc in an arcless show. It's using a particular strand of the Twilight Zone to illustrate that. But it doesn't mean that they've got it wrong. I think it is part of the plan. And Blairy Man is the equivalent to me of one of those season cliffhangers where, where something happens that's going to affect the next season. So yes, season one is, look how crazy our world has gotten. Look what's going on in our world today. But you know what can bring some wonder back into it? The Twilight Zone. And that is season one for me. So obviously I could be wrong on that, but that's how I interpret it. And I don't think we'll see season two completely abandon the social elements of the Twilight Zone. But I do think the point of this ending is that maybe now it's going to explore some of the other aspects of the show. I think back to when we started with the comedian A Nightmare at 30,000 Feet and that, that kind of disorientation as we're all sitting at our television sets wondering what's going to happen, what's this show going to be like. Our brains are just working overtime watching these couple of episodes. But I think as time has gone on, part of this Twilight Zone journey has really just been to kind of relax about it. Now of course comparison with the original is part of having a new version of something, but I also think the letting go of the original is part of having a new version of something too. Now we all love the original and as long as we watch television, humans watch television, we will always cherish it. But you know a few years ago now Doctor Who was relaunched in the UK and all of the same grumbles were happening. The original did it this way, the new one does it this way. And while you'll never please everybody, I think there is a general acceptance now that Doctor Who is the same but different from the original show. Because it's always going to be. That's just the way things work. And the new Twilight Zone is the same but different too. And What's the same is the same enough for me, but I think we also need to accept, but not only to accept, maybe to celebrate, that some things will be a little bit different. And obviously those lines of what is acceptably different are unique to each person because we all view things through our own lens. But for me, that decision's already been made. You know, sometimes we need to open ourselves to the unknown, not the end of the story, but a new beginning for the Twilight Zone. And that's what I'm prepared to do. I can't wait for season two. But now let's hear your thoughts on The Blairy Man. Just a word of warning before we get going, though some of these clips are quite a bit longer than usual. But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go with it. That's fine, I said it before. Um, we've done this show that it was going to be okay for this final one because because we had Blairy Man to review but there was also going to be you know general thoughts on the season if people wanted to rank their episodes that kind of thing 
then that was fine. So this is going to be a bit of a longer show and some people's clips are going to be longer too, but that's okay. And I'm going to start with a good friend of the show, Andrew, who is who is really summing up quite nicely a certain aspect of the Blairy Man, and I think this is great to listen to. So let's start there, and I will see you at the other side. Hi, Tom. It's Andrew Schneider here in Houston. I've really appreciated the weekly analyses that you've been doing of the episodes of this uh, new season of The Twilight Zone. It's helped me to put my own thoughts in order in a way that I probably would not have been able to do even with multiple viewings. Uh, And I think it's really helped having guest analysts on as well. It certainly did for me in the case of Blurry Man with your most recent analysis with Brandon. I found myself agreeing with you both to a certain degree. To Brandon's points, um, I've had kind of a difficult time with the season being too message heavy. But in retrospect, I can sort of understand why uh, Jordan Peele and company went in this direction. And certainly with this last episode, I can realize that they were clearly smart enough to realize that this would be a complaint going in. Uh, One of the things that occurred to me in retrospect is that Rod Serling had over 30 episodes a season to play with. And so he had more opportunities to alternate between uh, so-called message-heavy episodes and just telling a story for the sake of a good story, like to cite one of your favorite examples and and mine, Shadow Play. But Peel knew he was only going to have 10 episodes and he had a lot of serious real-world problems to address. So yes, a higher proportion of those were going to be on the nose and perhaps that will be different next season perhaps not it really depends on how many serious issues crop up in the in our own world that he feels he needs to address in the twilight zone either way i know i'll be sticking with him as far as your critique one of the things that occurred to me uh, as a writer myself is that imposter syndrome really is at the heart of this episode uh i i think it's it's important that Seth Rogen brought that out in his opening story within a story. I suffer from depression, uh, have for most of my life, and imposter syndrome is definitely a symptom of this. And uh, my sense on viewing this, uh, particularly after listening to your critique, is that uh, in a way, the blurry man is a manifestation of Sophie's own self-doubt. She's clearly an extremely talented writer. She would have to be to have scored this gig uh, and to be continuing to work at it for as long as she has and as many stories as she's supposed to have. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to see herself any differently. And if you look at The Blurry Man as a manifestation of her own self-doubt rather than as a, a precursor to Rod Serling showing up, then it really does explain the violence. Um, you know, it's the blurry man who's who's violent. It's the blurry man who's showing all this casual cruelty to her, not Rod Serling, but Sophie herself, uh, viewing herself as not being worthy to stand alongside uh, Serling and Matheson and all the other giants who wrote the original series. But once she's truly willing to listen, rather than berating herself for what she's not, 
That's when the Blurry Man resolves and Serling takes his place to let her know that she has a right to be part of the Twilight Zone to stand alongside him as a writer and as a creative force. That really hits most of the notes I wanted to say about this episode uh, and about the season as a whole. I do want to say how much I really appreciate, again, uh, the fact that you have been weighing in on a twice-weekly basis, uh, both with your own show uh, and with the listener comments. I know that this is an extremely time-consuming process for you. Um, and, uh, you know, hasn't been helped by the fact that there have been so many people who've been weighing in with negativity. Um, one thing that I hope that has occurred to you throughout this is that uh, you're clearly not alone in this. I'm sure that Jordan Peele himself has been dealing with just as much, if not more. And you can both take some comfort in knowing that you're in good company because as you yourself said on any number of different occasions, when Rod Serling did a controversial episode himself, the hate mail really flowed through, and uh, and he had to cope with it himself. So, thanks again, Tom. It's always a pleasure listening to you, and uh, look forward to hearing you returning to the classic Twilight Zone uh, as soon as you're able. Take care. Hello, Tom. This is Christian Slade from Winter Garden, Florida. Just calling in here about my thoughts on the season of the new uh, resurrected Twilight Zone. And I thought it was, overall, I thought it was wonderful. Very high production values. I'll jump right in. I thought The Comedian was a great first episode. Tracy Morgan, in his uh, brief appearance, was awesome. 30,000 feet had nice content continuation of the original story i was nervous at first when i thought it was just going to be another retelling of it but it turned out it was more of a continuation story and i could see this thing happening every few decades like uh, air travel something happens with this uh, mystical element Um, so i thought that was neat replay was powerful it was on the nose perhaps that was they wanted to get the point across the creators felt like it was, it was good to be on the nose, and sometimes it's good to be subtle with the message. Sometimes it's good to turn the volume up higher. That's up to the creator of the show, depending on what they want. A Traveler was strong. My favorite part was the little shot where you just saw the snail-like tentacles poking out of the forehead of the character. And it was great to see aliens, which is such a staple of the original Twilight Zone. Great to see the aliens and otherworldly creatures out there. Wonderkin was pretty intense and... An episode that wasn't supernatural. It was fun to see. Uh, a take. Uh, Six Degrees of Freedom was solid, slick sci-fi. I felt like I was looking at a, a nice, uh, almost a moving illustration. It had reminiscence of Alien movie from the 70s. Not All Men was pretty scary. It was a horror-type element uh, to it with the, with, the, with the blood and the red whites of the eyes. Uh, the people in the fountains laughing. Very, very, very horrific. Point of Origin, Parallel Universe, always a great, intriguing uh, concept. Um, Blue Scorpion wins my vote for best title from the season. Blurry Man was my second best title, and that was my favorite episode of the season, the way it ended. An amazing, perfect ending as far as I'm concerned. As perfect as anything could be in this world. Um, I thought, and I agree with you, Tom, I I got choked up. I had a feeling of who that was going to be, and when I saw that, I realized I don't think it could have ended any any better. It was absolutely perfect. 
uh, Jordan Peele, I think, overall just notes on my sh- on the show. Um, I think he's perfect. When I saw the movie Get Out, I was very impressed, and that movie felt like Twilight Zone was injected all over the place in the background and had elements of it. So great to see that. Uh, as far as the, a lot of the criticism on the show, I like to look at it as um, these shows are it's a privilege just to even see the Twilight Zone. The fact that they're redoing it is a wonderful thing. It's art first and entertainment second. And like all good artwork, I believe it should inspire you, it should challenge you, and move the viewer on multiple levels. Challenge you, uh, many human levels and, and feelings and um and, and and yes we should we of course have our opinions and discuss it but as long as we should be doing it civilly um i i also think that um that fandom is not a concrete thing we have an opinion on something whatever it is a film a book and then you look back on it four years from now eight years from now whatever ten years it's amazing how things change and so i think a person's opinion could be a lot has other factors going on other than um, what's happening, you know, uh, with just a show, there's biases, someone could not be feeling well, or something else could be on their mind in their life. And we're not perfect. We're, we're humans. And therefore our opinions are all going to be different. But I think that the point is to keep it simple. Last Tom, I did want to just say, um, thank you so much for the coverage of, and of not just this series, but all the episodes in the past. And I've enjoyed going through, um, listening to them. You work so hard and, um, it shows in the episodes, and I appreciate it. You've you've given me um, you've deepened my love for the Twilight Zone um, by by listening to these shows, and and it means a lot. And God only knows how many other people you've inspired around the world um, to just appreciate these even further. And I was a huge fan coming in before I discovered your show. Um, after Rod Serling, I, I your voice is right up there as far as. Uh, authority on the Twilight Zone as far as I'm concerned and um, you've you've given to this world an appreciation of Twilight Zone that that is uh you know as far as I'm concerned right up there with the shows themselves I I love I've been watching this season and I'm just as excited to turn on your show to hear about your analysis of it and then of course hearing all the platform for everyone around the world we're all in different places and it's great to hear the opinions so thanks for everything you do and um um I, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to more. Hope, hope, uh, I hope this continues uh, with season two and looking forward to that. Take care, everyone. Bye. I've had an email from Mike and he's going back to a previous episode. He says, Hi, Tom. First of all, I've been a listener to your podcast for several years and it's about the only podcast I regularly listen to. You do a superb job in all aspects from recap, research and production and honestly, I'd listen to you read pretty much anything. Well, thank you, man. I've been a little slow on seeing the new series and just watched Not All Men last night. I haven't been overly impressed with the new episodes, but it probably has to do a lot with the Twilight Zone name. I think most fans of the original series have a bar set so high it's almost impossible for any show to reach it. However, until this last one, if you just presented the show without a name, callbacks or the narrator, how many would make you think this is an episode of The Twilight Zone? In fairness, the original is 60 years old and so many things have changed that again it's impossible to recreate. 
I didn't feel like any of them captured the original spirit until Not All Men. When it was first revealed that the meteors were not responsible for the change in the men's behaviour, I felt like I was watching The Twilight Zone. I listened to your review but have not listened to the listener reactions yet. I'm curious as to how many people will see parallels with the monsters are due on Maple Street, my favourite episode. In both cases we start with ordinary good people and end with monsters, killing each other in a short span of time. The original provides a much better explanation of why people changed, and as you mentioned in this one, it's not quite as good. However, I think the point is the same in both, that no matter how civilised we think we are, the animalistic behaviour is always lurking underneath. Normally there is no need to try and kill anyone, in fact it's against your best interests, but if you feel threatened, you can still act violently to defend yourself. Once a threat emerges, you can lose all rational thinking, depending on how big the threat is. Obviously the men in the episode were reacting to much more than threats to their safety, but they usually start acting violently to some perceived threat, whether it was rejection of a sexual advance or someone slighting them. Once they started down the path of violence, it seemed they were unable to stop. Like the episode title, it was not all men that succumbed to their most base nature, giving hope that we can avoid the dark future that was shown. I do think that people in general, but mostly men, have it in them to act as shown. We are not that far removed from being animals after all, but like monsters, all these men needed was a little nudge. And that is the point. We as people, and especially men, have to look at ourselves and realise that we are the only ones that can control our actions. And while most of us are not horrible people under the right circumstances, we can do things that make women feel uncomfortable. I really don't get the whole not all men movement that Willow told you about. If a woman is telling you about horrible men she's known, and how their actions made her feel uncomfortable or worse, and your first reaction is to get defensive, that says something about you. Men, including myself, want to immediately put someone at ease when they are troubled. The easiest way to do this is to convince them that they are wrong and everything is okay, but that is a terrible way to handle it. We all need to be hit over the head and made to understand that women experience these things and that they are wrong. I think the Me Too movement helped, but we forget so quickly, and I'm glad the show was very in your face about this, and I wish others would be too. We need a shift in culture and things like that are difficult to make happen. The only way is to continually make people face things that are uncomfortable until they cannot hide from them. For all the people offended at this episode, fearing that they are being grouped in with horrible people who do horrible things, it must be wonderful to have a life where that never happened before. I'm a white male living in Southern America, so I am a beneficiary of that bias myself. I'm extremely fortunate to have never been looked at or treated poorly because of the colour of my skin or gender. I cannot truly understand what it's like to experience that, but I know that it's wrong. For so many people they are looked down upon simply for things they cannot control and nothing to do with their actual character. Okay, I've been rambling and I apologise. If you're still reading, I appreciate it, but everyone knows that things are worse now than they ever have been in our lifetimes in regards to political divisions. I think we have to open our eyes and our hearts. 
and see people for who they are and what they are going through to have understanding and healing. There are many things to talk about on that subject, but this episode shows men that they need to think about these things. For a lot of them it's not easy, but nothing will change until men take it upon themselves to make the changes. Most of us are good guys, but we need to make it socially unacceptable to joke about inappropriate things. Every time we are silent, it lets a bad guy know that what he is doing is okay. Subtle hints will not work on men. We need to be hit over the head again and again. Anyway, keep up the good work. Cheers, Mike. Thanks for writing in, Mike. Brother Tom, Victor Gamboa here. Just a quick note before I continue here. Uh, when I finished the Blurry Man episode, I was nowhere near a mic. So I kind of wrote down what I was feeling. And what ended up coming out sounded more like a monologue. More so than a friggin' uh, episode review. So apologies in advance for that. Alright, first off, Tom, what a time to be alive, man. With this version of the show, we now have the fourth chapter and a continuing story. Each chapter chronicling the issues of their time. Jordan Peele's narration is perfect for this iteration, just as Charles Aidman and Forrest Whitaker were for theirs. Tom, I absolutely love the ending of Blurry Man. It was the perfect way to end the season, by acknowledging the past and leaving you excited for the tales yet to come. And of course, this was done in the most mind-blowingly way imaginable. Man, the original series touched so many lives. Just think of the differences in perspectives, the societal concerns, and all the life lessons that we learned from the universe that Rod Serling had created. That final shot of Serling and Sophie walking into the fifth dimension, I found to be symbolic of each of our own journeys into the Twilight Zone. You know, in the end, it felt like a thank you to the fans. The fans who got swept off their feet during the show's initial run. The fans who would stay up late each night catching reruns on the most obscure basic cable channels. The fans who never miss a New Year's Day marathon, and to the new fans who are just now discovering the show. I can't wait to see what season two brings. Well, Tom, that'll do it for me. Thanks again for all the great work you're doing up there in the mothership. Until we speak again. Hey Tom, this is Bob from the U.S. Uh, hadn't uh, talked since early on in the season, I think at the halfway mark, and yes, it is true, I couldn't stay away from the uh, this new season of The Twilight Zone. Um, that being said, uh, I'm obviously in the minority when it comes to uh, how people view this, this particular reboot of The uh, Twilight Zone. Um, in fact, it may be the only one, really, uh, of those that call in that would say, I don't feel this has been done properly, and I don't think, uh, don't think this new reboot of The Twilight Zone was, was good in its totality. Um, I, I know it's kind of a tiresome subject uh, that you hear from a number of people, but I will say again that I think this was structured way too political. And, and I think you can't just look at this and say we're ascribing political aspects to it. I think that was the intent. I think if you look at every issue-based episode they had, and I believe there are really only just a few that you could kind of argue were stories as opposed to political messages, but I think if you look at every single one of those, 
uh, whether you're talking uh, gun control, whether you're talking uh, Me Too movement, whatever it may be, immigration, every single one of those fits perfectly as a plank within the Democratic Party platform here in the U.S. And I think that's just too too coincidental, uh, especially as we're heading into a uh, presidential election year here. But um, I, I, I did want to comment just on these last two episodes. Uh, Blue Scorpion, I completely agree with many of the thoughts that people have said in that I think this was probably the best rounded treatment of an issue that any of these shows have done. Uh, I think they did accomplish that um, in that it didn't come down on the right side. It didn't come down on the left side of a, a what I would still call a political issue, but it just addressed the issue. And in listening to the to the feedback and everything else, it generated conversation. And I think that I think if they're going to tackle issues, I think that's probably the appropriate way to do it. And the final one, uh, Blurry Man, um, I, I I just really don't, don't know what to say on that. I think that was a, a great story. Uh, I really had to think about that long and hard after it was over uh, as to whether that really felt right bringing a computer-generated image of Rod Serling back into it, uh, you know, matching his voice and and making Rod Serling the central character. But I think from the opening narration where Jordan Peele stepped out and was in the story, that was masterful. And And even though I'm on the record for saying I don't think that this season of the twilight zone was was done properly and, and I, I think the motives behind it were wrong i do have to say that everything the production value the acting the directing uh i think even brandy had said at one point the uh, the the set design the wardrobes i mean that th- this was just top notch i mean th- th- this has to uh really go down as a a very very well done series I just did not agree uh, most of the time with the uh, message and I believe the intent uh, behind the writing of the stories. But but I, I think in, in terms of production value, it was great. And I did like the last two episodes. Um, I would say the others that I liked along with that just simply because they focused on story value as opposed to political messaging uh, were uh, Nightmare and Six Degrees. Um, so that, that would be kind of how I would fall with this. But... Uh, Anyway, I'm just glad to be able to chime in on this. Uh, I know I'm kind of a lone voice in the wilderness and saying I don't think this reboot uh, had the proper intentions as far as how they put it together, but um, still, I will always remain a Twilight Zone fan. Thanks, Tom. I've had an email from Dave, and he says, Hi, Tom. A thought on Blairy Man. They're borrowing an idea from the fourth season episode of the classic series He's Alive, in which a character Rod describes as a Bush League Fuhrer gets guidance from a shadowy figure who later reveals himself to be none other than Adolf Hitler. In his closing narration, Sailing says of Hitler, He's alive. Remember it when you hear his voice speaking out through others. Remember it when you hear a name called, a minority attacked, any blind, unreasoning assault on people or any human being. He's alive, because through these things, we keep him alive. In Blairy Man, the writer wants nothing more than to keep Rod Sailing alive in his storytelling, and in this fantasy scenario, Rod is more than willing to guide her on the right path. The message I took away 
is that the new Twilight Zone, whether it be through stories that provide social commentary or just plain scary campfire tale fun, intend to keep the spirit of sailing with us to inspire the imagination of a new generation. Thanks so much for your reviews. I was always given something to think about from the perspectives of you and your guests. Looking forward to season two. And that's from Dave. Thank you, Dave. Hey, Tom. Uh, Here to talk about the final episode of this season, Blurry Man. Obviously a very meta episode. I enjoyed the parallel to the finale from the original first season, A World of His Own, uh, as well as the other proto-meta season one episode, A World of Difference. Uh, With Blurry Man, the writers clearly understood the backlash and the criticism their previous episodes would invite, so it was interesting to watch them tangle with that here. Unfortunately, the message does feel a bit muddled, if I can take one definitive thing away, it's that the writers truly care about doing right by the show. I don't think the season has been easy for them, uh, and they've clearly felt the weight of Sterling's legacy on their shoulders. As for the episode itself, I liked the setup and the conclusion. It kept me guessing as to what was happening, and as for the ending, I mean, who among us hasn't wished that Sterling would appear and invite us into the Twilight Zone? I did think the middle of the episode was a little repetitive, Uh, She's limping through the same sets, seeing the same effects, bottles flying off shelves, books flying off shelves, a bookshelf toppling over, a table toppling over. Uh, It doesn't ruin anything for me. I just thought it it sagged a little there in the second act. One thing I wish they did less of was having the actors talk aloud to themselves. It's a weird crutch that I don't think the show needs. Um, A, the actors throughout uh, have been good enough that they deserve faith from the... uh, from the writers to be able to convey this stuff without having to say out loud what they're thinking or what they're feeling. And two, I think nowadays audiences are savvy enough to be able to read that without needing it to out for them. As for the big Serling reveal at the end, I'm not a huge fan of animating dead celebrities. I didn't like the Peter Cushing cartoon in Star Wars uh, Rogue One. I'm not a huge, huge fan of it here. Maybe I'm being a, a party pooper, but and I don't begrudge people who like it. I can understand the desire to do it, but I think I would have preferred if the blurry man stayed blurry and we just had a Sterling-esque voiceover. Then at the end, if they wanted, um, for that final shot, when they're both walking through the doors into the Twilight Zone, which is a shot that I love, then maybe you make it a real person with a suit um, shot from behind. That way it feels a little more classy, I guess. Uh, I'm just not a fan of the animating the dead so to speak um as far as recapping the season uh i don't have a definitive ranking but i for me six degrees of freedom in nightmare are my favorites um i do have some hopes for next year i won't list them all because we'll be here all day but there are two that i strongly believe in so throughout this year there's been a lot of talk about serling's legacy and the show's legacy in regards to stories with messages and how on the nose they should be, but I think another important legacy that was overlooked was um, Sterling's commitment to adapting the popular short stories of the day. Now, I don't know anything around the Writers Guild rules or union rules or anything like that. I don't know who gets to write episodes and who doesn't, and I don't know what the process is for purchasing the rights to a short story, but uh, Sterling sought out the young up-and-coming authors of his day whether that was buying the rights to their stories and adapting them himself or hiring 
Beaumont and Matheson. Either way, those stories and those two writers make up the spine of the Twilight Zone as much as anything else. And I don't want to come off as sounding like I'm saying, oh yeah, just go you know, and find the next Matheson, go find the next Beaumont. I don't expect that. <clears throat> I don't think it's reasonable to expect that. And I would argue it's not what the show should be doing. Matheson and Beaumont were writers of their time, telling new and exciting stories for their time. If the new show wants to capture that spirit, they won't seek out the next Matheson or Beaumont. They'll find writers whose names we haven't even learned yet. Young writers who have recently made a splash, and their stories are begging to be translated to the screen. And I believe they should do it um, with an eye towards diversity. Modern sci-fi and horror stories are painted with a brush that's been dipped in a far more diverse palette than ever before. Find the writers who make up that palette. Some viewers complained this season was too on the nose. Fine. Season 2 can tell stories that aren't on the nose, but they can still carry on the teasy legacy by featuring stories we haven't seen before. Um, stories about and by people who have, until recently, been left out of the mainstream. If I could tell the producers one thing, and I know they're listening, I'd say go out and find these stories. Use the award lists from the past few years, the Hugos and Nebulas, the Shirley Jacksons and the Problem Stokers. They're filled with new um, and exciting stories that deserve a bigger audience. And while they're hunting down that next big story, I'd ask that they keep an eye out for my other request, which is don't forget the other types of stories Sterling told, the ones about the little guy. I know it's not the most popular episode from the original run. Yes, it has its flaws, and yes, it's corny. But I hope there's an episode next season that captures the spirit of One for the Angels. Yes, Sterling was an activist who constantly pointed out mankind's shortcomings, but that's why One for the Angels is so important. It's Sterling saying, look, here's someone who's done it right in a small way. No, Lou Bookman didn't fight injustice or right many wrongs. He was just a good guy. Uh, the best way to sum that up is uh, with an excerpt from Sterling's outro. Uh, of Wynn's character, he says, A rather minor component to a hot July, but throughout his life, a man beloved by the children, and therefore, a most important man. Uh, I want to thank you, Tom, for uh, giving listeners this forum. It's been great to check in week after week. And uh, I look forward to continuing it uh, next season. And I definitely look forward to returning to the classic episodes. All right, have a good one. Hey, Tom, this is Johnny from Cleveland, Ohio, calling in to give my quick feedback on the season finale of The Twilight Zone, The Blurry Man. Overall, I really liked this episode. Um, it had some nice horror and sci-fi elements for me, um, and I was taken by surprise whenever Jordan Peele broke the opening narration at the beginning of the episode. I wasn't expecting that, so it was kind of a nice change of pace for me. Um and it tied the whole show nicely together, just showing the blurry man in each of the episodes. Um, now I'm able to kind of look back when I do the rewatch in black and white and notice him in the background. So that's going to be a fun Easter egg. Um, the only one I really noticed up front was in replay when he was featured prominently in the background when the uh, mother and daughter are at the school. Um, also, the episode brought back some good memories watching Sophie watching the twilight zone as a as a young girl um kind of in the same way i got immersed in the show when i was younger 
at that point I was just enjoying it for the sci-fi elements and not really the subtle messages that were behind the show. I didn't pick up on that until much later when I was watching it as a late teenager, early adult. Um, the Rod Serling cameo at the end was a little bit unsettling to me. Um, I knew it was coming because I could just see the um, see the silhouette, so I knew that was coming. Um, but it was a little bit unsettling. Um, the animatronic and robotic movement and Mark Silverman's um, impersonation of him, but I didn't dislike it. I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, to bring it into the modern day in 2019. Um, overall, this season, um, just wanted to give a quick top five for me. Uh, my number one episode was Blue Scorpion. The Blurry Man was number two. Uh, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet was number three. The Traveler, Traveler was four, and then Replay was five. Um, the final two episodes of this season, Blue Scorpion and Blurry Man, really gives me hope that next season will be a lot better. Even though I really enjoyed the season, I obviously think, like most people, it did come across heavy-handed and too on the nose at times, but I'm very hopeful for next season. Um, anyways, I really enjoy listening to the podcast. It's become a weekly staple for me, um, and I'm planning on attending the celebration in October in Binghamton, um, and I hope to meet you there, Tom. Thanks again for the podcast. John here from British Columbia, Canada, with a few thoughts on the final Twilight Zone episode, Blurry Man. Okay, what just happened? With the exception of Wunderkind, the previous episodes of the 2019 Twilight Zone have been amazing. They have been filmed beautifully and they've had good solid writing. And while I don't appreciate some of the language and the bluntly obvious political messages, this is still a series I enjoy. The episodes have been thought-provoking and the strongest of the series are still lingering in my mind. So I'd hoped the final episode would tie together the themes in this series and also explain 1015 and some of the other recurring elements. But that didn't happen. Instead of giving us a tenth strong episode, the producers of The Twilight Zone gave us something resembling fan fiction. The first nine episodes would make sense for someone who has never seen an earlier Twilight Zone episode, but this one relied so heavily on the original series. This is a show in love with its past. Oh, there are so many things I disliked about this episode. For starters, it blurred the line between the story and the production of the story. Good movies, good television, good stage plays should, if done well, transport the viewer to a different world. And in the first nine episodes, Jordan Peele's opening and closing narrations helped set the stage for the stories. And even though the world of these Twilight Zone episodes wasn't quite the world we live in, I could still accept the reality of the stories they presented. But this time, the story was a television show about a television show. This is a form of navel-gazing. It's no better than stage plays about stage plays, or novels about novelists, 
or songs about songs and songwriters, or movies about the movie industry. And now Jordan Peele was no longer the detached guide to the Twilight Zone, but he became instead a character within the story. Yeah, I know, the original Twilight Zone had a few episodes where the world of television, movies, or stage plays was at the heart. And I personally consider those to be the weakest episodes of the original series. But even those, Rod Serling was not a character within the story. He still was the detached outsider. The only way this episode could have been worse is if the whole thing had ended up as nothing but a bad dream. And for a while, I thought that's where this was going. In the end, this was not much better than a dream sequence because what we had here was just bad storytelling. In the first nine episodes, rules were laid out. Stories could go in strange directions, but they were not absurd. The Twilight Zone episodes we had seen all depicted our world, but not quite as we know it. Close, but different. The last episode, which was also the most confused of the series, felt like the cast and crew all got together to give me an April Fool's edition. If, at the end of the series, those involved wanted to do this as something for themselves to enjoy, I'd understand it. But that's not something to show the world at large. Now, why would the Twilight Zone producers choose to end with this episode? Well, my best guess is many of the previous episodes were too on the nose, to use a term used in the final episode. This was a way of saying, you don't want relevant episodes? Fine, here's something with no commentary to our world. Have fun. The implication then would be that unless a Twilight Zone episode was doing hard-hitting political commentary, it would be nothing more than a disjointed, obtuse story. But this was not the only choice for the producers of the Twilight Zone. If they had followed the parameters and restrictions of the original series, they would have been forced to use subtlety and hidden meanings to get their point across. But this series didn't have those limitations, and it was weaker as a result. The first season of the new Twilight Zone has a lot of potential and promise, but it hasn't yet lived up to what it could be. And I'm wondering what Rod Serling would say if he could see how his vision is being interpreted today. A new season will air later, and my hope is that it will come closer to the ideals of the original. For now, I feel as if I'm still at some distance from the Twilight Zone. I've had an email from Mike. He says, Hello Tom, I wanted to add my two cents concerning the new Twilight Zone. First, let me say, I've only seen the first episode, The Comedian, which was shown as a freebie on YouTube here in the US. But I have been reading the reviews and, of course, listening to your fine podcast. So for what it's worth, my perspective is from someone who touched their toes in the pool, didn't care for it, and is patiently waiting for word that the water is fine, so to speak. For me, I think the problem is that Jordan Peele, who is undoubtedly 
a great writing talent, has made the choice to honour the original Twilight Zone, right down to the music, the on-screen host and even the font, which is fine in theory, but packaging new darker edgier material of modern television complete with profanity with the dark fairy tale aesthetics of the original makes for an awkward and jarring experience in my opinion. It would be like if Star Wars opened with the line a long effing time ago in the galaxy way the hell over there. So I hope in season 2 they pick a lane, either be a modern anthology series or a nostalgic revival of an avant-garde 60s television series, not both. Oddly enough, this is something the 80s and early 2000s revivals did a little better. Thanks for all you do, Tom, and keep up the great work. Cheers, and that's from Mike. Thank you, Mike. Hi, Tom. It's Rochelle from Germany, and I'm finally getting around to responding to the new Twilight Zone 2019 series. First of all, I just wanted to say I think you're doing a great job, and for those uh, those who do not uh, live abroad as you and I do, Tom, um, I just wanted to say... I know it's a huge achievement just to be able to listen to the to watch the new Twilight Zone that is um, from abroad. It's no small accomplishment to be able to do this. So I applaud you being able to. I'm able to, and being able to get it through CBS All Access is a feat. So uh, I think that we've done a great deal of good service to the producers and the and the creators of the sh the new show to be such loyal fans and um I just want to say keep going Tom you've you've done a great job I I've been listening to the show now for I think almost 2 years and um and I love what you're doing it takes a huge effort and a huge dedication and I just want to say keep up the good work don't let the naysayers get to you and um, you have a loyal crop of fans who are really here with you on your side. So back to the Twilight Zone uh, 2019. Overall, I just want to say I am a true Twilight Zone fan. I have been for my entire life. The Twilight Zone started the year I was born. I mean, it ended the year I was born, actually. And... Uh, yeah, I've been watching it in reruns since I was knee-high, and uh, I've always loved the originals, which I originally watched in black and white because my TV was in black and white, um, and over the years, I've come to really love the, the, the updates. I mean, there have been hits and misses, and I really just love what Jordan Peele has done overall. There are some you know, some, some issues, but overall, I think it's a great job. And I waited with anticipation and I'm just glad that we, that we have it. And I'm glad it's been renewed for a second season season. I'm very excited about that. In terms of sharing my thoughts, particularly on this last episode, I want to say, you know, I think it was a great idea to do a homage to the the last episode of the original first season with Breaking the Fourth Wall. 
that they did um, with Jordan Peele uh, stepping into the character and stepping in as a character as Rod Serling did with the last episode of the first season in a world of his own. I loved that. That's one of my favorite um, episodes of the Twilight Zone original series in its entirety. I just love that episode um, where they cut the tape and everything. Spoilers, sorry. But I uh, love that. And I mean, I thought that the whole concept was good. I think that there were some places where they fell down in the, the 2019 episode that they just did, episode 10, uh, Blurry Man. Of course, it caused me to go back and look through every episode again. I did not do, I tried doing the black and white episodes, but once you've seen them in color, it really doesn't work in black and white. And let me just comment real quickly about why it doesn't work in black and white for me. Black and white episodes were done back in the day because they really used the color that they were filming in. They were filming with color, but it was only being able to be produced in black and white, specifically for the black and white output. So they used colors that really made the black and white pop out. Now what we have are shades of gray. So we have light shades of gray and dark shades of gray. Um, It's truly not black and white. And I think another listener that I was listening on last week or one of the previous weeks was talking about how he had turned down the color and was watching all the episodes in, quote, black and white anyway. And you could do that. It just, it really is not meant for that. And it takes everything out of it. It just makes it dull and lifeless. Plus, I think that does something that they did really well uh, in this new 2019, which is really getting those crisp, wonderful colors, especially those blue hues and all the wonderful cinematography that they did, um, all the pastels. I think that that really makes this new series different, makes it come alive, makes it pop out. And that just kind of negates it by doing it in black and white. I mean, I think that it's a nice um, thing they did, thinking about those of us who loved the show originally in black and white, but it needed to be filmed in black and white for them to do that with a focus on Uh, getting colors that pop out for that. Anyway, just doesn't work for me. Maybe it does for some. And especially with this last one where they actually filmed part of the episode in black and white. Same thing with Point of Origin. Part of it was in in the grayscale or the sepia scale where you really needed that contrast of color to make it different. So I don't think that that worked uh, for me. But anyway, just seeing this last episode, back to where I was, Blurry Man made me go back and re-listen to uh, or re-watch all the other 10 episodes and uh, looking for Mr. Blurry Man. And uh, I saw him a couple of times, but not really. Um, So I think it was just kind of a ploy to kind of go back and re-watch the episodes. But uh, yeah, that part didn't quite work for me. Um, But that's okay. I wanted to go back and and see them again. So I want to go and talk about some specific pros and cons and uh, of the of the show overall. And then finally, I'll conclude with uh, listing my uh, episodes from my most favorite to least favorite. So pros and cons. First of all, the pros. Um, What I really love about the overall series is, uh, that's 2019, is the diversity. I love how they're incorporating a diverse cast, 
diverse writing crew talent and showing that to me at least behind the scenes as well as of course with Jordan Peele but really just showing a real diverse cast on screen I love the social messages I'll say in my cons that like everyone you know no one really likes to be hit on the head with with messages but I like the overall idea that they are doing what Rod Serling has said in several of his interviews that he wanted an opportunity to show and mirror what was going on in society at the time, but he wasn't allowed to because of the the sponsors and the uh, rules of the network and other things that just didn't allow him to get his messages across. So he used the context of, of sci-fi in order to get this across. So they're doing this with this new iteration. They're they're getting the social messages across. And that's why Twilight Zone was created. And that's why it was created the way it was. So I love sci-fi, but actually it was just a cover to get the themes and the topics across. So I'm glad they're pushing those boundaries, especially, especially on the social and diversity and, and issues with uh, race and, and um, gender topics and, and yes, political topics. I mean, it's something that we need to talk about. And it's not just in the USA. What most Americans don't realize is how this is all seen in a worldview. I know Tom knows. I definitely know. Um, but, you know, it's not just about Americans and how Americans are seen from their own perspective. It really is a global thing. Anyway, secondarily, I really love prose, cinematography. Um, I think it's great. I talked a little bit about that. I love the varying length. I love that they're not held to 30 minutes. I think some of the greatest episodes of the original Twilight Zone were actually um, a couple of the hour episodes. My favorite is Miniature, or it's my second favorite behind Willoughby, but um, I love Miniature and some of the other ones. So I think that, you know, it doesn't have to just be one 30-minute type of episode to to be good. Um, Sometimes it seems a bit... Along the new version, but I think most mostly it's been great. Um, I like the feel of the original that's expressed in the in the uh, new version, and I like the homage the or, I'm sorry the homage to previous shows and versions. I mean I think that that's great that they're getting the throwbacks to the original shows as well as some of the shows back in the um, from the 80s and uh, 2000 version. I I think it's great. Uh, finally, I think one of the great pros is that it does, again, reach a global audience. They're not just talking to Americans who live in the U.S., but really they're reaching out to a global world. It's, you know, these themes are not just the U.S., and I think Tom's talked a little bit about that in his commentary along with his um, reviews, but, you know, when you look at the Wonderkin, for example, it's not just, it's not just... Donald Trump. I mean, it's when you look at other politicians around the world and other people, um, this commentary about, you know, other politicians, it applies to them, too. Or, you know, other topics, they apply to what's going on with, you know, how um, how women are treated or or some of the challenges that that people are undergoing because of their races and those kinds of things. So this is a, it's not just limited to the U.S. So I wish people would look at it more from that point of view. Finally, cons, the language, you know, 
I like the fact that you can use some curse words. And I think America needs to be less prudish and needs to be able to do this even on the airways. But come on, it's over the top. Way too much cursing. Just way too much. And I just think they need to tone it back a bit. Um, hopefully they'll do that in season two. Um, on the noseness, I think it's way too on the nose sometimes. And they just need to scale it back a bit. Um, don't hit us over the head. You know, don't knock us over the head is what I want to say. In terms of writing, I think that they really need to tighten up the writing. And yeah, the twists just aren't quite there. I mean, it doesn't have to have a twist, but when you have a twist, it needs to really be a twist. And I think that would make it a much tighter show if they really worked on the writing a bit. I think like the original show, it's a 30-30-30 rule. And I think they should be more of a 60-30 rule or even greater. It's still 30% very, very mediocre, 30% great and 30% not so good. So I would like to see it, you know, be more 60% really, really great and 30% mm, maybe, you know, they need to work on it, but I think they can improve on that. So those are kind of the pro, the, the cons. And uh, anyway, yeah, thanks for listening. And um, I just want to say, here are my episodes, the way that I rate them in terms of first to last. And my favorite is Six Degrees of Freedom, followed by Blue Scorpion, Point of Origin, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, Replay, Blurry Man, A Traveler, The Comedian, Not All Men, and The Wonderkind. So that's all from me. And that's, uh, that's what I have to say. And, you know, I really thank you guys for supporting Tom. And uh, you've been great to, to listen to uh, over the weeks and months. And uh, yeah, I look forward to um, commenting more next season. And of course, for as Tom continues his review of the old series. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks so much, Tom. Talk to you guys later. Bye. For each of the new episodes of The Twilight Zone, I challenged myself to do a recording. I made them immediately after watching, but for Blurry Man being the finale of the new series, I think it deserves a little more depth. So I'm breaking my pattern and re-recording after having a few days to reflect on the episode. This is also prompted by having just re-watched the first episode, The Comedian in Black and White. The Comedian and Blurry Man were both standout favorites to me, and they are perfect bookends to the series. Some say that a writer writes best what the writer has lived, experienced, and knows. So writers writing about writing, about performing, is often very insightful. The Comedian is about what you give up in order to get, what you must give to take, and what it takes from you. It tells this story in a suspenseful, otherworldly way with a menacing force at work in the shadows, with a profound and timeless ethical message. As I said aloud after watching, that's the Twilight Zone. The same for Blurry Man. The show breaks the fourth wall. It reveals the construction of the show itself, but the Twilight Zone is still at work even when the show has been revealed, with the mysterious and powerful Blurry Shadow Man haunting the writer. The otherworldly elements are there. The ethical message is there as well. 
The question is asked during the show, are we being too on the nose with this? This is a question asked of the show in the outside world, and then the show asks itself the same question in the show, speaking to the fact that they can do what Rod Serling was not allowed to do because of the censorship imposed by the corporate sponsors, afraid of exactly the kind of negative reactions this new show has gotten from some circles. I love the introspection here, the asking of whether art is about entertainment and making profit, or what the balance is between the art and the entertainment. All the while, there's the mystery and magic and terror that's at work, and the terror is Serling himself. He haunts and challenges, he terrifies because art must challenge and terrify. It must look inside, be introspective and confrontational. This is the heart of the Twilight Zone. It's not just meaningless entertainment, it's art, and art must challenge and confront. The Twilight Zone does that, and this is the Twilight Zone. Watching the comedian refuse to erase his estranged lover in the frenzy and frenetic rush of power he has on stage in his final performance, and instead sacrifice himself like the salesman in One for the Angels, Watching Serling walk into the unknown with Sophie, the writer, in Blurry Man, who has picked up the mantle he laid down years ago, walking bravely into the unknown, hand in hand with her guide to the other world, like the elderly woman afraid of death and nothing in the dark, was a perfect ending to a perfect series. There's nothing more I can say to that, except that I can't wait to see what they do in season two, and thanks for all your work on the show, Tom. It's been perfect. Hey Tom, Logan from St. Louis again. I slept on the episode and woke up with some additional thoughts. Hopefully I can keep them brief so as not to take up too much more time. First thought, maybe I was wrong about the ending of the episode. Uh, at least what they were going for as, as far as uh, what it meant. I think maybe instead of being sort of, uh, apology is not the right word, but a, a quote-unquote apology for being so heavy-handed and soft-pedaling the science fiction uh, story elements, I think maybe it's more of a uh, defense of that tactic. But there's evidence for both, I think, and, you know... Jordan Peele's dialogue towards the beginning of the episode and also uh, the Serling character's narration at the end of the episode. Either way, uh, whether it is a defense or an apology, I still think my point still stands that it shows that they knew what an issue with this season would be and did nothing to fix it. Um... Uh, Still, it's just a matter of personal taste, uh, and again, I don't think it was the heavy-handedness that was the issue. I think it was the lack of story to go along with heavy-handedness. The second thing, uh, I mentioned people who had never seen Twilight Zone before this series. I wonder what they think about this episode, because... It really doesn't set up who Rod Serling is 
very well for people who don't already know him. So, I feel like this would be a very weak finale for anybody whose introduction to the series was the 2019 series. And uh, the final thing is about the series overall, the 2019 revival. Um, I think the issues that people keep bringing up, not so much the length, but um, the language content and um, the sort of heavy-handed way that they present the material, uh, those are negatives for a particular reason that that, uh, I don't know, is, is kind of disappointing for this series. Now, I personally, like I said previously, I don't think the heavy handedness is much of an issue, uh, if you have a good story to go along with it. And, you know, far be it for me to say anything bad about the language anybody uses, because I swear almost constantly, um, the problem, I think, with having this in a Twilight Zone series is that both of these things sort of limit your audience. The language prevents kids from seeing this who might benefit from seeing these messages presented in a you know fictional setting uh, and the sort of lack of finesse at introducing these messages in any way speaks to a very narrow set of people. It, it, it basically, these episodes are preaching to the choir. The only people who are getting anything from the episodes are people who already agree with what the episodes are saying. Because you're not sort of couching the lessons in any sort of metaphor, people are tuning out. The people who probably most need to hear the things that these episodes say are tuning out. And the writers and producers still get to pat themselves on the back and feel good because you've got, you know, you got your messages out there and the people who agree with it still agree with it. But did they do any good? I think that's a big question for me. I've had an email from Jeff. I hope you're doing okay, Jeff. If uh, you ever find, if you ever find a gun with a scorpion on the handle, throw it in the river. And he says, "Hey Tom, wow, those first ten episodes seemed to fly by, didn't they?" First off, let me say you've done a stellar job covering this new incarnation, and your discussions have been handled with grace and enthusiasm. I appreciate that in today's political climate, discussing these episodes might have felt like walking across a minefield, but I really do appreciate the care and empathy you've shown to people everywhere in talking about this fascinating take on our beloved show. I won't go into every episode, but I'll just say what I'm sure is apparent to everyone who's seen this season. The care and the quality and respect for sailing was right up on screen with every episode. 
a quick word about the Blue Scorpion first. By the end I definitely got a taxi driver feeling about the main character, but let's get to that last episode. I thought it was a great deal of fun. Jordan Peele has been great all season long as the narrator, and in this very metatextual episode, he didn't disappoint. So yes, let's talk about the decision behind doing what they did at the end. I respect the choice they made and having the guts to actually try it with a CG sailing, but I couldn't help but feel it was a misstep. A rare misstep for a show that made a lot of bold choices all season long. It definitely didn't ruin it for me, but I do wish they pulled back a bit in this case. Recreating someone so iconic and beloved and well known is always going to come with a ton of baggage. Just as the show arrived with all that baggage before it even started shooting. And while I really love the idea of sailing haunting the show in a way, I hope they take this opportunity to leave all that behind next season and continue to make episodes that are both timeless and timely. Jordan Peele has given us a show that he can be proud of. Hope that quality remains throughout its run. And for the record, my major highlights this year were Replay, A Traveller, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, Blairy Man, The Wonderkind, Six Degrees of Freedom, The Comedian, Not All Men and Point of Origin in that order. Thanks Tom and keep up the great work, it's much appreciated. Cheers. And that's from Jeff. Thank you Jeff. I, I think they did take a couple of big gambles in this one. And I think there were very bold kind of chances. The first was just going so meta with it. Would people feel cheated that it had changed in this way and all the things that seemed to build up throughout didn't pay off in the way maybe we were expecting? I'm glad to say that for most people that gamble seems to have paid off. But, you know, everyone's different and, and not everyone's going to be pleased with that. But I'm glad most people are. The second thing is putting sailing in, and again, I can I can understand both sides on this one, you know, everyone has their own thoughts on that too, but I think for me what it gave me was the, the real representation, the visual realisation of a thing that I've spoken about for years on this show. You know, this Rod Sailing who exists in the Twilight Zone. Is he a god? Is he a judge? Is he a guide? I don't think we need to know specifically, but he's almost a different being from the man who would who would turn up at the end when the credits were going to roll and say, next week on the Twilight Zone. You know, that was almost Rod Sailing the writer, but then you get Rod Sailing the, the sort of entity from the Twilight Zone, if you like. The man who walks through the scenes and says his piece, but nobody sees him because he is something else. He is this denizen of the Twilight Zone. You know, the only man, the only being who truly knows what's going on. And we've never seen it so explicitly. And and I agree, you know, that the mechanics of doing it, it's not going to work for everyone. But it's really nice that you've said, you know, this aspect didn't work for me, but I really enjoyed the episode overall. I, I really like that about your email, Jeff, because a lot of the time you see online, people can get thrown off by one thing and it's almost as if the whole thing is a write-off. So it's nice that you've not gone down that route. But for me, it was it, it was almost like a bit of a dream come true, seeing the, the Rod Sailing who inhabits the Twilight Zone. And we've seen it before in, in the usual show, because 
that's the way I've always seen him. But just to take it to that next level, when do we get to the Twilight Zone? Well, we got to the Twilight Zone. And it was done in such a way for me as to not be given any of its secrets away, but just given us a bit more of a glimpse of it. So I'm really cool with it and I'm really happy with it, but I completely, I completely understand that it's always going to be a little bit of a divisive thing. So thanks for writing in, Jeff. Hi Tom, since I began this voyage into the fourth series of The Twilight Zone on television with my review of the first two shows, I've been quietly waiting until the end to give my final review and rankings of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. I better preface this with a couple of things. First of all, opinions thereof are strictly those of my own. Well, that may be self-evident, I know some folks get upset when someone gives an opinion as an authority. I will admit to being a lifelong lover of The Twilight Zone, in most of its incarnations, and a fan of anthology series of all kinds. As I've mentioned before, I've written and produced a number of my own anthology series for audio drama, and you can subscribe to the Electric Vicuna production podcast, that's Vicuna, V-I-C-U-N-A, for all my original plays for free. Or sign up to the Mutual Audio Network for fine audio drama everywhere by the United Artists of Mutual. So, as my final caveat, my number one and only indicator of a good show tends to be the story. For me, a badly filmed movie with a great story is still at least good. And even bad acting with a superior story still ends up being a pretty good narrative as well. I do recognize that great acting can elevate a middling story, but in the end, it is indeed story for me that is key. Also, please keep in mind my Clark Kent job is as a teacher. So as a writer and teacher, I tend to go into deeper dives and things. I apologize. So let's begin with the general statements. A. The filming. You know, the original look of The Twilight Zone from Buck Houghton and Rod Serling operated on two levels effectively, utilizing the black and white filming as visual interpretations of the twilight area between reality and unreality. There's elements like the death light that comes as reoccurring motifs. Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone has the best cinematography of all the later iterations, including the 80s movie, in my opinion. There's a coherence of a moodiness, a tonal feel that the worlds we're investing in aren't quite right one way or the other. This is enhanced by the placement of audio and visual Easter eggs and clues for both the series and reflections of the past. Things like Whippletech help create a mythology of the Twilight Zone, which works very well for our modern day audience. B, the acting. It's been mentioned many times, but having comedic actors take on stories with gravitas and emotional complexity has worked very, very effectively. The acting has been terrific, and even the worst stories have had bright lights in the lead roles. C, the Jordan Peele introductions. You know, unfortunately for me, and it, as it pains me to say, as much as I love Peele's work with Get Out, I've become less and less enchanted with his introductions. They come across as wooden when you see that nearly every introduction is hit with the same note. Rod had his ability to keep his personality and use that in shows to provide something that was wryly humorous and, in other times, starkly serious. The tone of everything Jordan Peele does is just the same. I'd like to see much more variation in his delivery for season two. Perhaps he was nervous. Goodness knows, so would I be. Now for the rankings. I'm going to give you IMDb's rating, my rating, and as a lover of anthology series, which series each episode would work best in. Coming in at number 10 and last place, Not All Men. 
Not only is this title found in Wikipedia as a term used on the internet to mock the ideas that not all men are badly behaved violent rapists, the main message enforces the idea that the default setting for men in this tale is that they are all bad and women are all good. I had to ask myself if I was just upset because this was a political position I disagreed with. But I think it bothers me most because Rod was great at breaking stereotypes, not reinforcing them. If you replace the word men with any other group, nationality, ethnicity, or even a religious belief, we would properly call this prejudiced. Now, keep in mind this as well. If all one group of people aren't being criticized in a story and they think it's great, and another group who are being criticized are complaining, we wouldn't normally dismiss their complaints, would we? Actually, you know, if this story had a different ending, it could have been considered one of the top shows of the season, as the story itself was clear and progressed the plot very cleanly through. It was certainly nightmarish, and you could feel the tension for everyone involved. The fact that men who were affected by the meteor rocks had red eyes and red veins showed that there was something there. But the twist in the end just ignored that entire setup. As a friend of mine once said, someone confused art with art therapy. IMDb rating, 4.9 out of 10. Jack's rating, 2 out of 10. Anthology series that it would be best in, Creepshow. You know, Not All Men strikes me as a kind of B-rated horror comic book idea with the same kind of comic twist. Fun in an offbeat, ghoulish way, but certainly not a Twilight Zone episode. Number 9. Blurry Man. This horror metafictional story has barely a narrative and is filled with the main character running through the Twilight Zone sets, chased by a blurry man who blows from the wind props at her. And when you think it's going to kill her, it suddenly disappears, only to come back again, and then is finally revealed as Rod Serling, thanks to graphical reconstruction and a vocal impersonator. Why the heck Rod Serling would do this? No one knows. Why we get flashbacks to her childhood seems completely unneeded and a way to pad a script that is really short on story. You know, we already knew she said before that she loved the Twilight Zone and watched it as a kid, and she always thought it was a place. This episode feels like fan service and nothing more. It's given the number nine slot only because any show in which Rod shows up deserves not to be last place. IMDb rating 5.9 out of 10, Jack's rating 2.5 out of 10, anthology series it would be best in, The Night Gallery. I say this only because it's the only other series that Rod Serling shows up in, and it had mixed reviews as well, from awful to middling to the odd, really good episode. Number 8, A Traveler. This story's setting created a lovely claustrophobic mood, and the presence of the Traveler provided a great enigma that allowed the story to progress. But so many confusing elements muddied the ideas of the plot to be almost incomprehensible. Were the aliens there to just cause confusion? Were they there to judge humanity? Why did they want the Sheriff to go out to the power station in the first place since they can read minds? There's just too many questions that make no sense. IMDb rating 5.8 out of 10, Jack's rating 3.5 out of 10, anthology series that it would be best in, The Outer Limits. Please stand by. Sorry, I had to throw that in. The science fiction nature with the nihilist outlook would work really well in this series, as the stories of The Outer Limits were there to provoke fear of aliens in some episodes as much as anything else. Number 7, The Wonderkin. Despite some great performances, this story wasn't at all believable with a 10-year-old who would become an outright dictator as the President of the United States. It feels that the writers were so desperate to take a shot at the current president that they didn't think out the plot effectively enough in this script. IMDb rating 5 out of 10, Jack's rating 4 out of 10. Anthology series that would be best? Amazing stories, because this story seems so outlandish that with a couple of tweaks it would work better in a fantasy series. 
Number six, Point of Origin. Some phenomenal work from Jennifer Goodwin and James Frain, neither of which have ever turned out a bad performance in my opinion. But again, the plot wasn't effectively worked out. The message overshadowed the story. Yes, immigration is important. How did the housewife get here? What was her world like before? What's the fear from the government? Why did the guy lead her out of the prison only to have her arrested at home? Was that just so she could see how much her family had changed in their attitudes towards her? This is indicative of so many of the new Twilight Zones which feel like a first draft of a script that needed a strong editor. IMDB rating 4.9 out of 10, Dax rating 5.5 out of 10, anthology series it would be best in, Tales of the Dark Side. Because you know the strangeness of the two worlds, it feels like it might fit best in that anthology series. Number five, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. A tense drama that went just too long. The final scene where the plane landed felt superfluous. The story had just one too many MacGuffins. We had the magical podcast player, but we also had the man who ended up being the pilot. How did he fit in this? They either should have focused on him either being definitely not there or part of a deeper plot. The ambiguity in this episode ends up being to its detriment. IMDb rating 7 out of 10. Jack's rating 7 out of 10. Anthology series that it would be best, let's face it, Twilight Zone. Despite the weaknesses, this is the first story that came out of the season that felt like it belonged smack dab in the Twilight Zone. Number 4. The Comedian. One of the best of the smaller stories, great old Twilight Zones told encapsulated stories like A Game of Pool, In Praise of Pip, A Passage for Trumpet, and even other shows without Jack Klugman, like Nervous Man in a $4 Room and The Mirror. This didn't feel like a Rod story though, because the comedian was treated rather shabbily by Twilight Zone Justice. IMDb rating 6.2 out of 10. Jack's rating 7 out of 10. Anthology series that it would best fit in, one step beyond. This kind of story of the world topsy-turving with little reason or cosmic justice worked great under their earlier anthology series. They just have to clean up the language a bit. Number 3. Six Degrees of Freedom. With a nod to Where Is Everybody, this episode provides a clear storyline of a group of astronauts escaping the destroyed, or so they think, Earth to land on Mars. Following the great filter idea to the end, the characters are interesting, and that they live in a simulation is very similar to the plot of the 2014 series Ascension. Except that those doing the experiment are aliens, of course. Of course. IMDb rating 6.2 out of 10, Jack's rating 8 out of 10. Anthology series that it would best fit in, Perversions of Science. This 1997 series of twisted tales of science fiction would have had a storyline very close to this one, right up their alley. Number two, Replay. This episode felt very much like the perfect example of a Twilight Zone. Unlike Not All Men, the message didn't try to say that all cops were bad racists. It tried to tell a single story about a mother and her son's attempt to go to university. The power of the camera as a MacGuffin to provide an opportunity to change their lives was reminiscent of so many of the Twilight Zone original series. Things like, of course, a most unusual camera, and in the restaurant, Nick of Time, and even, I can still see the 16mm shrine. IMDB rating, 5.6 out of 10. Jack's rating, 9 out of 10. Anthology series that it would best fit? Definitely the Twilight Zone. This story was right inside of Rod's wheelhouse, and of all the stories of the season, I think this one alone represents his style and writing sensibilities the most. And number one. The Blue Scorpion. This episode was masterfully acted by Chris O'Dowd and discussed an idea while still keeping the issue timeless. I felt it didn't ground the story in the gun debate of today, but rather gave us a universal understanding of how guns have a difficult relationship in our lives. I know a lot of people both argue that it didn't have a message or that the message was too on the nose. I took the message clearly as this. You never know when a bullet has your name on it.
Guns make people feel powerful. As a Canadian, I can say I am definitively for gun control. I don't see it as a right, but rather as a privilege. Like you, Tom, I see how limiting guns can save lives, and that's what I'm all about. But as I said from the beginning, this is just my perspective, and I'm not about to tell Americans what they should do or not do with their laws. While there were problems with the plot, like why the home invader just attacks Jeff in his car, overall, it had a really strong idea, and I loved it. IMDb rating 6.4 out of 10, surprisingly. Dax rating, 9 out of 10. Anthology series it best fits, The Dead Man's Gun. While people have mentioned Mr. Denton on Doomsday in reference to this episode, I don't think it fits very well because the gun that Denton used wasn't magical like the Blue Scorpion. However, in the series The Dead Man's Gun, that's the entire storyline. Taking place in an Old West, this show was produced by Henry Winkler and narrated by Chris Christofferson, and it was really good because, well, let's have Chris Christofferson tell us the intro. In the American West, a gun touched by evil passed from hand to hand, changing the lives of all who possessed it. Its origin unknown, its dark legend grew, till it came to be known as Dead Man's Gun. Wasn't that great? Doesn't it just describe the Blue Scorpion? Now, before you go on saying the Blue Scorpion saved Jeff, in the Dead Man's Gun, sometimes the gun actually saved the owner, but they still had to get rid of it anyway. So that's my list. Sorry for the length. In the end, I think what makes a great Twilight Zone is an immersive world that is part setting, part characterization, part perspective and mood created by the cinematography and the sound, as well as a powerful narrative that operates progressively without confusing the viewer and providing a twist in the end that makes sense to leave the audience with something to think about to both reevaluate their world and their own lives. Thanks for your patience and your willingness to keep this forum for us. I know it really helps with content in a busy time, but it really means a lot that we're a big family here. What I personally love is talking with people, even those who are enraged about the Twilight Zone, as equally as much as those who love it, because I love diverse opinions. And I think that diverse opinions really make up the best of what humanity has to offer. And that alone was something Rod would have loved too. Take care, everyone, and we'll catch you all back in season two. Okay, we've arrived up at the finale. Man, I I uh, I loved it. Uh, start 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 that off, uh, and it makes me very excited for the future of the show. Um, I, I wrote down some notes this time, so it started off, and I was uh, I hope this isn't all about you know nuclear weapons is the item of the week or some type of maybe North Korea relations or I don't know I I, I didn't know right off the bat like I normally do uh, and I uh, actually welcome to that uh, and then boom we get hit with that fourth wall break um, and then we have um, them walk in uh, Jordan Peele and uh, the main actress on on the show um, for this episode and saying not there yet with the narration and talk about it's too on the nose which 
I'm not sure if this was filmed like after some response has had come in or um, I, I kind of feel feel that way but I also think that that, that might not be possible um, with with how you know series are uh, as shot and I, I imagine it's all shot and, and complete and sent for editing and whatnot and there can't be these types of script changes but I'm not sure but uh, the fact that it's being talked of and they have to notice some of the people's criticism whether they're valid or not um, and, and maybe focus on more like episodes like like this and maybe the you know the last one where um, it wasn't force-fed um, what we want to think and that um, it can be more this is these are kind of you know push push less and and just kind of um, let us um, decide um, and so two on the nose so she has to go back and, and write and uh, Jordan Peele is has about four different people doing his makeup I thought that was kind of kind of funny um, I felt like he probably was poking fun at, at himself there um, or just maybe that's just exactly how it is and he, he just wanted to show exactly how it is um, I'm kind of thinking the former but um, so yeah so she's she's working on her laptop she's got rod serling um on her laptop where you know the apple logo is or would be um and i i re rewatched it a few times to notice uh different things um like uh maro suotutis was on was on the book i couldn't find much with that that was just the clan name for um also a name that that went nowhere uh that was it only showed it for about a quarter of a second the ecclesiastical history i'm butchering that pronunciation ancient and modern from the birth of christ to the beginning of the present century i didn't know what was tied in with that but that's basically um where she's flipping and it has all the drawings um also earlier something that caught my ear was uh, he Seth Rogen mentioned Chayefsky in his opening monologue. He was saying, "Oh, you're real Chayefsky," and because he's a Chayefsky's a, a screenwriter, Patty Chayefsky. I wasn't familiar with him, but he's a very well-known screenwriter. Uh, two of the biggest quotes that popped up is from, from Patty Chayefsky, who Seth Rogen mentioned. Uh, Television is democracy at its ugliest, and artists don't talk about art. Artists talk about work. If I have anything to say to young writers, stop thinking of writing as art. Think of it as work. Which goes back to uh, the talk um, that uh, Seth Rogen and then um, Jordan Peele and the main actress. I wish I knew her name. I, I love her in Atlanta. Um, um, the show Atlanta with, with Donald Glover. Um they they're talking our art versus entertainment and you know which are we are we sci-fi we're twilight zone um she's talking about how she always wanted to actually go into the twilight zone and so with the big reveal that it was rod sterling um it, it seems to me that you know it's so hard to come in and, and try and recreate a show with 
with such a, a large um, weight on your shoulder. Um, and, you know, he's in every episode. And, and how do you how do you top that? And and as he said, or as they transcribed it coming out of a CGI version of him, is that this is uh, not the uh, end, but a new beginning, which I really liked. Um, and I did note she she was running away and she kind of broke her leg on the part of the filming gear. Uh, kind of, I don't think it was probably intentional, but like break a leg, which is big in the studios. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is um, the big reference of Time Enough at Last, which is, um, I always knew it was big, but it's the biggest episode from, from what I've, I've read. Um, and it in TV Land's presentation of TV Guide's 100 Most Memorable Moments in Television, Time Enough at Last was ranked at 25, which is where he says there is time, there was time, and he breaks his glasses. Um, and so that you see the glasses when they're walking in, and, and it's the same library. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really liked the episode, um, and. Uh, you know, I'm really eager for the, the future of, of it. I, I think they kind of um, are they're going to find better ground. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. And um, thank you for all that you've done, Tom. And thank you for all the other uh, listeners that I've enjoyed listening to. Um, I especially liked last week's um, where someone thought of a entire new ending and it was it was great um really well written um that was awesome uh very very detailed and and uh with the knife and um that was just really cool i really enjoyed that um awesome cheers Hi Tom, this is Richard from New York. I just finished watching episode 10 of season one of The Twilight Zone, The Blurry Man. And here are my thoughts. So at first it was, I thought it was a bold move what they did in the very first few minutes. Um, showing Jordan Peele as himself and, you know, breaking the fourth wall and everything. It reminded me very much of season one the end of season one um, of the original Twilight Zone, when Rod Serling uh, broke out of character, or actually became, you know, part of the show, and then it went into something else. <clears throat> and during that part of it, in the middle section, I was really kind of confused. Is this turning into like a horror movie? I, I wasn't sure where it was going. I at some point knew the blurry man was Rod Serling. <laughs> Don't ask me how I knew. I was like, they're going to make him Rod Serling. But even I didn't believe they would actually do it. Like, I knew it was going to be Rod Serling, but I didn't totally believe it. And when they revealed them to be Rod Serling, using special effects, I actually did not like it. I did not like that part. I, I mean, it felt wrong. <laughs> but... 
the ending narration and it ended with this is like you know the new twilight zone or whatever that got me back you know i actually like that part of it you know kind of saying forget what you know before this is going to be new and this is going to be fine <laughs> so I, i i mean i I just saw this, so I'm really still processing it. I thought it was a really bold choice, and I really like that about this new version. Yeah, I'm still thinking about it. It's pretty, it's gonna take a while to fully process this episode. <laughs> But man, did they, did they go for it? And I can't fault them on that. So, anyway, that's all I have to say about it.、Um, still, thank you for your great podcast. All right. Bye. I've had an email from Shelley, and she says Twilight Zone 2019 season finale is probably the most moving and perfect thing I have ever seen on television, and an absolutely fitting season finale. To a show whose original run's first season ended with what may have been television's first meta mind bending moment, where Rod Serling appears on screen and in scene for the very first time, only to be written out of existence by the protagonist of the story. This latest episode goes way beyond hitting the nail on the head in addressing all of the criticism this season has had. I'm pointing to the lived reality of all of us Twilight Zone fans and why we tear each other apart. This show is haunted. Of course it is. It always will be. And its creator bequeathed it a birthright to walk the thinnest of lines between light and shadow, between fantasy and reality, between light entertainment and some of the most awful tragedies humanity has dreamt into existence for itself. I've grown scared of trying to predict what the rest of this fractured fanbase will make of any given episode, but for me, this is the first television episode I can remember that reduced me multiple times to real tears of empathy, because the protagonist is someone I hope all Twilight Zone fans can deeply relate to, but I absolutely do. Our world has been turned upside down, and there is no solid ground anymore. In this, 2019 is twin to 1959, so it is only fitting this ghost of liminality has returned to haunt us. I hope I speak for everyone in that we all desperately want a brighter, hopeful, more colourful future for this world. That vision, that naked recognition and terror of all that is broken and unfair, and yearning to write our way a path through it, is the essence. Of the Twilight Zone. Thank you for writing in, Shelley. Hello, Tom. This is Grace here for some brief thoughts on the past few episodes and some final brief thoughts on season one overall. With Point of Origin, I did feel that this one was one of the less subtle ones of the bunch, a bit more on the nose kind of episode. And it's interesting that we seem to be getting a mix of both subtle and more heavy handed episodes with these 10 stories, but we get an experimental mix. 
I like the fact that this episode tries to put someone who is privileged in their social status in society in the perspective of someone who doesn't have that advantage and has these unbalanced and unjustified policies enacted up against them to be caught up in the system. The fact that Peel says at the end of the episode, everyone is from somewhere else, another state, town, country, is very true. I live in the United States, and what's interesting about the United States is that we're a pretty young country compared with the rest of the world, and it's almost a microcosm example for globalization overall. The world itself is a wonderful mixing pot of cultures and peoples, and everyone deserves a good and fulfilling life. Apart from the main message of the episode, despite the wonderful performance by the main actress, I did find her character difficult to put myself in her shoes entirely. It was a very good episode. I really appreciate the message and the subject it brings up for discussion, but the sci-fi fantasy element of the story kind of feels like an afterthought. Uh, something feels like it's missing overall, and I couldn't shake it. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but I feel like something's missing from it. I did enjoy the episode, but overall those are just my feelings. With the Blue Scorpion, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes of this season. Chris O'Dowd is just great in this. I know he was in the series The It Crowd, or The IT Crowd. I've seen him a bit in that, but I also recognized him from a film I highly recommend called Loving Vincent, in which he plays the Postman character. I haven't seen a body of his work, but he's just awesome in this, but I digress. The idea of anthropomorphism and the psychological reflection of ourselves in the items we imbue them with has always been in the Twilight Zone, from a most unusual camera to living doll. I love this concept. They did a great job with creating the character of the gun itself. It looks very ornate, unique, and special, as well as creating the character of the father, and we don't even get to meet him. <laughs> Just his surroundings and his home. By the way, great house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel that this episode also did a fantastic job of finding the perfect middle ground for everyone to find something important and entertaining in. And I did notice the 1015 theme in here. If you look on the barrel of the gun while he's on the phone with the salesman, the serial number is 1015-59. As of recording this, there has been yet another mass shooting here in the United States where 12 people have been killed in Virginia Beach. And what's sad is things like this have become commonplace now. I hope that we can eventually learn and move towards common sense and making things safer for the next generation. On to the finale. I'll be brief here. Wow. I did not expect such a meta episode like this and was so pleasantly surprised by it. It's psychologically suspenseful, it had good humor and imagination and a warm ending about the fact that Rod Serling will always be there. What a great way to end the first season. It also connects with the audience 
uh, fans of the original show in the shoes of the writer's character. The show is being written and watched by fans with real love in their hearts for the show and its creator. I wish Serling had lived much longer than he did. It feels like he left way too soon. I said this before, this series feels like the most honoring and respectful of the man's work and his character than any other previous iteration. And I am so happy that this show is here now and is in the right direction. As far as season two, what would I like to see? As examples, a sprinkling of westerns would be great, like A Hundred Yards Over the Rim or The Hunt. More mindbenders like And When the Sky Was Opened and Shadow Play. And more far future dystopic stories like The Obsolete Man and Number 12 Looks Just Like You. I think imagination is the most powerful tool we have. We really can do and change and create anything when we have the power of imagination and a heaping helping of empathy. That's something I learned as a child watching the show on a tiny screen in my living room years ago. A big thank you to Jordan Peele and the producers. This return has been a great ride and a gigantic thank you to the man himself for opening our minds and hearts all those years ago. Take care, Tom. Take care, everyone. Hey, Tom, it's Adam Cook. I have a lot to say, and I don't want to take too much time of the show, so I'm going to jump right into it. I, I have to be honest, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this episode. I think there's a lot to like about it. I really like the meta quality of it. Uh, I always enjoy when a show can go meta like that, and uh, I really like that twist at the beginning where we thought we were watching one episode and then uh, Jordan Peele cuts in and takes us behind the scenes. I thought that was great. Um, really like the cheeky conversation between Jordan and Sophie. I thought the premise of the Twilight Zone being an entity is something we've heard from you. And so I thought that was a really fun element to for her to have this journey of trying to figure out what the Twilight Zone actually is. And uh, the conversation of the difference between art and conversation is something that we actually heard from the series before, and I had forgotten that. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. I thought it was really fun to see behind the scenes, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit, and um, you know, walk through some of the sets uh, from the show. I really enjoyed those elements of the episode. But what I'm, what I'm struggling with is what ended up being the turn, the second half of the episode and the reveal. I really liked the element of, of the final reveal that it was Rod Serling on the set the whole time. I don't disagree with that at all, and I think that um, that fits the series well. It really, uh, I thought it connected well to the original series, and so um, I was on board with that, but there were a few things that I didn't like of how they handled it. First, not exactly their fault, but I really had a hard time buying that as Rod Serling. I thought the CGI of his face uh, imposed on a different actor um, wasn't done that well. It just, it didn't work for me. 
the voice actor that they got, I thought it sounded like someone imitating Serling, but it didn't really sound to me like Rod Serling himself. Even the way he walked, his kind of uh, swagger just didn't didn't feel like Serling to me. And so it really kind of took me out of the effect. I didn't feel like it worked that well. And so I actually spent more time thinking about how poor an imitation of Rod Serling this was than, um, than actually paying attention to what he was saying. I had to go back and, and listen to what he was saying to get the message. I know that some of that's just uh, my responsibility as a viewer of trying to put myself into the um, into the episode a little bit more, uh, but it just didn't quite work for me. It almost feels like a voiceover or, um, you know, a, uh, I don't know, a, a video on a screen would have worked a little bit better. I'm not sure. It just, it took me out of the element. And the second thing is, I didn't buy the, the Blurry Man's horror uh, being from Rod Serling. Uh, the majority of the scare was that things were flying off shelves. That just didn't feel like a Serling thing to me. So I just didn't, I didn't connect with it uh, because it just didn't feel like Serling to me. Uh, it didn't feel like something he would do to his main character um, or uh, certainly to another writer on the show. So aside from that, I thought it was a great a great concept. I really liked the concept. And I'm not even saying it was the execution wasn't good. It just didn't quite work for me. And so that's why I'm, I'm a bit more conflicted. I watched this episode two days ago, and usually what has happened through the series is that I will spend time thinking about it and will will actually grow warmer to the episode. And unfortunately, that just hasn't happened with this episode yet. Maybe if I watch it again, um, I will connect a little bit uh, more closely with it. Maybe um, now that I can know what to expect, I can kind of put those elements behind me and, and really just focus on the story. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I really liked the concept. I thought it was a good way to end the episode. Uh, one thing I, I did notice, though, I decided to go back and watch the episode, um, the series in black and white, and so I started, of course, with the comedian. And I had not connected this. I have not really thought much of the comedian since since I first watched it. But that was probably the other episode besides uh, this last episode that didn't have a political or social message to it. Uh, he mentioned, um, you know, his his failed joke is about uh, gun laws, um, but that would be a stretch to say that's what the episode is about. Uh, what the episode is about, as um, as we hear from Tracy Morgan's character, is that uh, it's about if you spend too much time talking on these issues, um, you're not going to connect with your audience. If you um, if you give of yourself and give yourself to the audience, uh, then it will connect, but they're going to take a piece of you. Uh, and I thought, you know, book ended that message with this, uh, this most recent episode's message of the difference between art and uh, message. Uh, it's interesting because I definitely didn't remember this, but in, um, in the episode The Comedian, when he walks in on his girlfriend and her professor talking, her professor says that that's what the conversation that he had just interrupted was about, is art 
uh, comedy as art. And, um, and I thought, wow, they really, I, I have to imagine that was all purposeful. I'm going to guess that's why they decided to put the comedian as the pilot episode rather than a replay, which was originally going to be the pilot, because I think um, they probably saw the bookends of those two episodes and thought, uh, you know, this will be a good way to start and end the series to, to really signal what the series is intended to be, is a mixture of, uh, of art and pop culture and um, giving a message. I thought that worked really well, and uh, kudos to those writers and to the producers for um, for bookending those messages. Shifting gears, one sort of Easter egg that I was very excited about and had been hoping would be revealed throughout the um, entire season. In fact, I've been watching for it, and uh, have uh, we finally got the reveal? Is that um, if you'll remember in uh, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, when Jordan Peele reaches down, he's wearing that bracelet that is a the same bracelet that uh, Serling wore. It was a, a paratrooper bracelet that uh, Serling wore. Well, similarly, Serling famously wore a, a watch known as the Hamilton Ventura. The watch has a fascinating history. Back in 1957, Hamilton wanted to be the first company that produced an all-electric non-winding watch and uh, the competition was somewhat fierce and so they released in January of 1957 a press release of the all-electric Hamilton watch that ran on a battery. They promoted it as a battery of the size of a button and it was an entirely electric watch. Uh, it didn't use the quartz movements that we use today. Um, instead, it, uh, it had some complicated mechanics um, to make the watch move. Uh, it was a problematic watch because the battery died um, somewhat quickly and the movements were very complex. Um, but it was the watch of the future. And so, of course, Rod Serling, uh, among others, Rod Serling and um, Elvis Presley were uh, two of the most famous bearers of that watch. Uh, but if you look closely at um, at some of the Serling intros, uh, it's uh, definitely at some uh, Serling uh, promo photos. You can see him uh, wearing this watch, and it's unique because it's shaped uh, somewhat like a triangle. Um, so it's an asymmetrical, uh, really futuristic-looking watch. Incidentally, because of the sort of retro futurism, it is also the watch that they used um, for the characters in The Men in Black. Uh, you can see in the first movie. Um, it up close with Will Smith reaching for it. In any case, I had assumed that Jordan Peele would bear this watch because there had been so much care taken to um, the look of, uh, of him. And when we saw the bracelet that he was wearing, I was sure he was wearing the watch. But uh, we paused and zoomed and have not had a glimpse of it until this episode. Um, and there are actually several great shots of uh, him wearing the watch and um, the watch, uh, the full face uh, visible. So a small Easter egg that uh, I really enjoyed. I actually have a Hamilton Ventura myself. It was a remake that Hamilton put out um, several years ago. Unlike the original, it runs on a uh, quartz movement, um, and but it's a really handsome watch. I get a lot of compliments for it, and so I was uh, I was very excited to see him bearing that. As for the series as a whole, 
Uh, I think there are probably going to be a lot of your viewers that are sharing their ranking, uh, maybe their top five. And so um, uh, while I'm still formulating that, I figured I wouldn't take um, time myself from, uh, from others um, who are going to be ranking it. However, looking back as a series as a whole, um, I'm going to read something that I had posted back in January uh, of this year about my predictions for what the series would be. Uh, I'll just read. Um, I'll just read all of the uh, five predictions that uh, I had made. One, I believe it will be widely regarded as the best of all the Twilight Zone reboots. Two, its best episodes will be better than the worst episodes in the original series, but they won't come close to the best episodes in the 1959 series. Three, Jordan Peele will have respect for the original series and will work to recapture the social commentary, but it will still lean more on being shocking and scary than the message. Four, it will be in color, but, this is perhaps more wishful thinking than anything, because it is on a streaming service, they will also have the option to watch it in black and white. And five, there will be purist fans who have already written it off and won't give it a chance. They should just avoid it. However, for many diehard fans, while it won't match the original, we'll be able to find some enjoyment from it, if for no other reason than that the general public is talking about this masterpiece again. I will say, aside from number three, or the last half of number three, where I said that uh, it will lean more on being shocking and scary than message, uh, we know that that has proved to be quite the opposite, uh, as leaned very, very heavy on message. Um, I stand by all of those uh, predictions for the series. Uh, I absolutely think it's the best as of all of the Twilight Zone reboots. I absolutely think its best episodes are better than the worst episodes of the original series. But I will say that I actually think the worst episodes of this series are better than the worst episodes of the original series. My least favorite, I, I don't have any qualms with this, uh, with saying this, is The Wonderkind. Um, really didn't enjoy that, but I would much sooner watch that over watching From Agnes with Love, or The Bard, or Cavender is Coming, or many episodes that I just really don't enjoy from the original series. And I thought The Wonderkind, which again was was far from my favorite episode. Uh, I very much did not love that episode. Um, it was still fun. It was well done. Uh, the acting was great. And uh, so I would take that over the worst. Um, but of course, even the best episodes uh, don't come close to my love for Eye of the Beholder or Five Characters in Search of an Exit. Uh, or even on Thursday we leave for home, I would return to those episodes and many more um, before going back to the new series, uh, but I still really enjoyed it. Third, the respect for the original series, I think, has been, has been phenomenal. There have been accusations online that this is someone who is just banking on, um, on the name of the original series, and that's just, that's not true and it's not fair. Um, absolutely, these are people who genuinely care about uh, the original series. This is not just someone who's um, who's banking on the Twilight Zone name. Uh, I'm thrilled that uh, my prediction about it being in uh, black and white, having the option to watch it in black and white, is um, has uh, come true. I will say that I started watching The Comedian in black and white last night and uh, was enjoying it, but um, it didn't uh, it didn't matter to me as much as I thought it was going to. Um, I will watch the whole series in black and white just because I really enjoyed that and really um, am curious to see uh, what that feels like, but uh, the color ended up being not a problem for me at all, and in fact, um, 
it, it did enhance it uh, more than I thought it was going to. So I'm on board with it being in color. I'm glad that they filmed it in that, but just for the sheer fun of it, I'm glad that it uh, it's released in black and white. And then absolutely, I think that it uh, this has been a great run. As a diehard Twilight Zone fan, I've just been thrilled with this uh, season, and uh, I'm so excited to see what season two is going to bring. So hats off to Jordan Peele and uh, to the entire Twilight Zone team. Really great job. A fantastic, uh, fantastic series so far. Uh, I really hope this goes on for at least five seasons. And, uh, and I, I hope it, it even gets better uh, throughout this series. Um, so great job to everyone involved. Thank you so much, Tom, for taking this uh, time to talk about the new series. I'm so glad that uh, we had this forum and uh, could hear your thoughts on it. And yes, I'm excited to, for you to get back to talking about the original series. But I'm excited for next year for you to talk about Season 2. This has been a great run, a lot of fun. I haven't been this excited about a a TV series in, uh, in a long time. And so thank you again, Tom, for everything and for all your care. Okay, so that was Adam's feedback, but he then sent me a further email and he says, I really like your theory about why Sailing acted the way he did in this episode, that it was really his psyche of having to write in the shadow of sailing that was causing the turmoil and that his final appearance was an assurance to her that she was writing the new series in a way that carries the torch. Viewing it through that lens, I like the episode much more. I still stand by my comments that the sailing character took me out of the illusion a little too much, but it's funny because I almost said in my recording that I had wished they would have gotten the guy who did the Tower of Terror for the voiceover because I thought he did a great job on that ride. I was surprised then to learn from you that it was the same actor. Maybe I wasn't giving him enough credit. Maybe I was connecting it too much to what I thought was bad CGI or maybe he just wasn't as convincing this time as he was in the Tower of Terror. But either way, I think you and Brandon are right that we need to look past that and connect to the point and the message and not get hung up on seeing the flaws. Again, thank you, Tom. This has been a fantastic journey and I'm so glad that we got to ride along with you through it. And that's from Adam. Thank you, Adam. Hey there, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Beauty, Texas, talking about Blurry Man. Well, I don't know if I should get some sort of unofficial TZ award for figuring out the twist in episode 10, but in my commentary about uh, the replay episode, I mentioned about uh, the most intriguing thing to me was the the man who was standing away from the camera with his arm bent, cigarette in hand, and I said at the time, you know, maybe maybe there's some sort of Serling-esque physical entity that's tying all of these episodes together um, on top of all the 1015s and all that stuff. And that, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he would, you know, so I said I was going to look at all the other episodes and see if he was in those episodes, but ah, didn't do it. I mean, the next one was, um, next one was, uh, a traveler. And of course, I, I guess I thought, well, 
we've seen all the characters, you know, so maybe I've been, you know, subconsciously said, ah, he's not in that episode. And of course, then you have the six degrees of freedom. And I thought, well, that's only those five people, although apparently he was in a still picture. Um, so anyway, but I don't know if I get the award because I said Serling-esque. And well, <laughs> when Blurry Man comes into focus, uh, I... I don't know if that's Serling-esque or Serling. <laughs> uh, when when he came forward and I realized that that was a CGI Rod Serling, a lot of stuff went through my head. First thing was that I couldn't believe that they were showing him, actually showing him. I thought they would maybe maybe keep him in the shadows and you would maybe hear his voice. Uh, but boy, they... That was a full frontal, right dead center. There was nothing else you could look at, and your eye had all this time just to just to look at this selection of, you know, really just pixels on a screen that are arranged in such a way to say, "Yep, that's Rod Serling." Um, so, but then immediately my brain said, "Well, they they had to have gotten, you know." Uh, approval from the Serling estate, you know, to come up with this idea, and they had to agree to say, okay, yep, we, we think it's a fitting tribute, and yeah, go ahead and use his likeness. Um, and it would have been cool, I guess, you know, with him to come up, but uh, unfortunately, when he spoke, eh, that's when the CGI work was a little, a little wonky. Um, you know the voice was good. I mean, you know the 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 pitches of his, you know the 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 raising and lowering tone of his voice, the speed of the words, that was spot on. Um, but um, but yeah, eh, you know, but you know, interesting ending to the episode. Um, let's see, I got a, a bunch of notes. I'm going to try and keep it short. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I think it's interesting the episode. In the episode, it's such a meta episode, they talk about how the narration is not... Well, we have talked about how the narration has not connected with the rest of the episode sometimes, where they they do the ending narration, and we think, well, wait a minute, that doesn't really seem to connect with really what the story was about. Um, You know, so, and of course, you know, they kind of talk about that here. Um, I'll say this, uh, me and my wife and Aqua, we, we watched, uh, this episode and we spent, we spent 20 minutes talking about just the ending narration, just the narration that Rod Serling gives and just breaking down each sentence. And there's a lot, there's a lot of talk about there, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I was kind of coming at it from, you know, I could see some, some, you know, Christian parallels, I guess you could say. If you looked at that dialogue from a Christian point of view, uh, my wife was bringing up some points that maybe it's maybe it's more of a secular view. Um, I think it's interesting that in the end episode, they talk about how there's a multitude of truths and again, Glenn Morgan saying that this, that's what this whole season has been about is what is true. And that's a very interesting phrase to use to say a multitude of truths. Um, 
I don't know necessarily how you can say you can have a multitude of truths uh, unless you're talking about, I don't know, you know, if you're trying to describe an elephant and you say, hey, I think an elephant is big. Okay, well, that's true. Well, I think an elephant is flexible. Well, I mean, that's true. He got his nose and stuff. I mean, I think an elephant is loud. Okay, well, that's true. I mean, I guess you can have that type of multiple, you know, uh, truths, but... You know, if you have, you know, people blindfolded and they're they're touching an elephant and one person touches the leg and says, oh, this is a tree. And that's 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 truth. That's for me. That's the truth. This is a tree that I'm touching. And somebody else touches the nose and says, "Nope, that's not. No, the truth is this is a snake. I don't know what you're talking about with a tree, but this is a snake. And somebody else touches the tail and says, no, I don't know what you two guys are talking about. But the truth is we're touching a rope. You know, so, you know, the multitude of truths, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a sticky phrase, but, um, you know, at least it sparks dialogue. So, you know, I'll give it, I'll give it up for that. Um, You know, I think it's very ironic because I mentioned this in the very first episode. I said the biggest issue that I had is the language because it is behind a paywall, TZ, and that... You know, kids, you know, a lot of us, you know, we were kids when we we first learned how to, you know, enjoy and we're just enthralled by the Twilight Zone. Maybe we didn't understand it, but there was something about it that just drew us back. And what happens in this episode, That's that was her story, you know. As a kid, she was just captivated by Twilight Zone. She didn't want to go out and play with the other kids. She, you know, she's watching this, she again says she didn't quite understand it all and needed Rod Serling to explain it for her but you know whatever the case may be so I thought it was ironic that they show you something in this episode that's not really going to happen with the 2019 Twilight Zone I mean I mean you know I guess you can you know have your kids sit down with you and figure out how to stream it or whatever um and sit down with your kid but I don't know if I don't know if you want your kid you know, learning some of the language and just some of the, I don't know, some of the situations. Again, I don't know. I mean, we've we've beaten that, you know, dead horse. So, anyway, um, let's see. Um, I'll say this. Since they didn't know they were going to have a season two, uh, at least they went out with a bang. Uh, you know, I mean... This was certainly, you know, an episode for the fanboys for sure. Uh, I do think it does work as a standalone episode. You know, you could, you know, somebody could watch this episode first and not really understand that there are other episodes that you're going to watch. They just think within the world that this has happened to other episodes. So I think that was that was clever with what they did there. Um, but again, it does it does reward, you know, viewers who have watched the whole episode, you know, all the whole season, and and really picked it out. So I just, I know, I just thought it was funny when, you know, I guess like I, said, I picked it out, but I just didn't expect an actual Rod Serling, you know, to to be to be in the Twilight Zone. So uh, just to finish up real quick. Because uh, I'm, I'm hoping that other people, other friends of the show, will give their top ten of the season, and 
maybe we can collaborate our own our own ranking once once we have everybody's uh, views in. But um, so for me, for my top ten, uh, I'm going to go with uh, at number ten, uh, Point of Origin. Um, and that may be hurt because at that point, as I had said, you know, I was burned out on knowing that this is a parallel for immigration. So, uh, you know, trying to try to enjoy the story in and of itself was hard. So, eh, maybe that was a little bit of a disservice to it, but, eh, you know, that's the way it ranks out right now. Number nine for me was not all men. Uh, and that's partly due to what I thought was too, a little bit too narrow of an effect on the men being just violent and not turning into sexual harassers or, you know, just just other stuff other than just wanton caveman violence. Um, number eight uh, for me is the comedian. Um, you know, it was a it was a fine episode, I guess. Uh, again, you know, of course, that was the very first episode, and it, the language was you know pretty rough and all that stuff for a Twilight Zone episode at that point. But you know, I guess at the end of the day, it's kind of forgettable. Um, you know. Uh, number seven is the Wonderkind. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I it was it was a fairly simplistic episode. Like I said, if you try and distance yourself from the Trump parallels, it was it was a you know it was a fine episode with a you know, with a you know an ironic twist and that whole thing. But it did it did spark you know my thoughts about you know why would what makes a kid lie at 11 years old and so that at least sparked some discussion so that that actually bumped it up a couple knots for me uh for number six and number five i really debated over which should go six and five trying to think of well which one would i like to watch more which one had more discussion points um so after much discussion within my own brain, I put uh, at number six, Six Degrees of Freedom. Um, you know, it was a it was a fine episode. A little confused with the ending. I think if the ending had a little bit more, a little bit more focus on it of what actually did happen, um, then then it would have moved up a little bit higher. Um, number five is A Traveler. Um, you know, I did have some issues with the episode because I was unsure if they're dissing Christianity or dissing colonialism or dissing Manifest Destiny and all this stuff. But I just, I don't know, there's something about the way it was shot, uh, the performances. Um, you know, I, I just find myself that I would rather, I would go back to that episode and rewatch it and just try and really kind of dig into it and just kind of really see if I can understand what they're saying. Um, number four for me is replay. Um, I, you know, overall, I enjoyed that episode. It would have probably gone up a little bit higher if the end of the episode wasn't wasn't quite so on the nose with that end the end uh, you know monologue that the main character said. But uh, but you know, enjoyable. Uh, number three uh, is Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet. Uh, just like the way it was shot. Um, I like that if you were a fan of the Twilight Zone, they they played with your expectations about thinking it was going to be outside, a gremlin outside, but actually it's a gremlin on the inside. Um, <clears throat> again, it could have gone up higher if not for the 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 uh, 
Twilight Zone justice at the end of did he deserve to get attacked by all the, the passengers? I mean, he was just trying to do the best he could and, you know, ah, you know, why not, why not go after the guy who actually crashed the plane? But anyway, and then for the last two, <clears throat> again, I kind of got went back and forth, but I'm going to put, I'm going to put Blurry Man at number two. Blurry Man should really be kind of a wild card thing, but because again, it's it is really enjoyable to go back and watch it, um, but uh, I don't know. You know, going back and really looking through the episode, did it really? You know, what kind of points was it making? Uh, the art versus entertainment, and was it was it saying that campfire stories are good or bad? And is Twilight Zone a campfire story, or should it be political? So, uh, you know, not sure on that, but. You know, hey, I mean, it's it was one it was one fun ride, that's for sure. And then for me, number one is the Blue Scorpion. Uh, I think that that it was just a, a a good possessed item story. You know, I could I could actually distance myself from any political overtone that they were saying about guns and gun control or lack thereof or whatever. Um, but it just it was just a good tense episode. Uh, loved all the multiple possible suspects, and um, and then finally, uh, you know, I mean, the end of the episode sparked my imagination to come up with, you know, the idea that you know what what makes somebody do something, you know, would make somebody want to shoot somebody or stab somebody. It's the blue scorpion, so it inspired me to come up with the alternate ending. So, anyway, that's my. Ugh longer than expected recap. Um, I would encourage everybody because this is the first time that I've, you know, I don't know, called in if you want to call it to, uh, to the show that, you know, that we jump on board and, and we start, you know, getting back into the old episodes. And if we have something to say about the old episodes, send in a clip and, you know, and, um, yeah, I'm sure, sure Tom appreciates the the different uh, points of view on some of these older episodes. So again, Tom, we think we all thank you for this opportunity to talk and, and uh, again, just, uh, just thank you for all the effort. And uh, it's just been a great uh, family time building up a, a new Twilight Zone family. So again, um, I just uh, look forward to uh, whatever's coming up next and looking forward to season two. So until then, bye. What's up, Tom? This is Uncommon NASA. Wow, we are at the end. We made it. We made it through a season. Um, it's actually really exciting. I'm, I'm really pumped. I have to say, um, watch the the last episode, Blurry Man. Uh, I thought it was completely amazing. Like I was so amped. I, I'm so overjoyed with this episode and with the entire season. But we'll get into that in a moment. But. I just the respect that's shown for Rod Serling and his legacy and his family is is so palpable um, through every episode. Whether it's my favorite episode or an episode that I think is kind of whatever, there's still like a reverence there through the whole thing. And this was like this episode felt like a big thank you from from the crew, and not a thank you just to be able to do this, but a thank you for like sort of 
to Rod for setting the bar so high and giving them a purpose for this time period that they worked on the show. And you could feel it. It was like jumping off the screen. And, you know, along with that also came like a chance for like self-reflection and sort of like they poked fun at themselves a little bit. They actually used the term on the nose during um, a discussion between Jordan Peele and, and Zay Beats's character, uh, Sophie. Kind of, kind of funny. Like I actually like, like laughed out loud for a second when they said on the nose because it's come up so many times on your show as a as a particular turn of phrase you know i just i really enjoyed it i i had a pretty good feeling early on that the blurry man was going to be rod serling i i envy and pity anyone that was surprised at the end but probably more envy because it was it must have been pretty cool if you didn't realize that was what was going to happen but i i certainly did figure it out but i was happy like I the first time I watched it, I wasn't like 100 percent on the like, I love that it was Rod Serling, but I wasn't 100 percent sure if they nailed the the graphic look. And I, I actually on the second watching, I, I do think that they nailed the graphics. The, the the sync is a little bit off, but I don't I don't know why that is. Maybe they manipulated his actual words um, to form like the sentences they wanted to form or if they had an impersonator or whatever. But Either way, I, I thought it was just brilliant to like pay that kind of tribute to Rod Serling and the ultimate nod after an entire season of Jordan Peele doing the narrations is for him to step back, show people that he's him, he's not doing a Rod Serling impersonation, he's still Jordan Peele, and then giving it up to Rod Serling to do the final narration and the final word and end the season and walk us into next season. I mean, it's, you know, it's so brilliant and so perfect. And you can, you know, to come up with something like that it takes a lot of thought and a lot of respect. And I, I was really happy to see that. And, you know, it doesn't even surprise me, you know, because I, I think Jordan Peele and the people that work on this staff clearly are thoughtful people. And and they, they put a lot of thought into making this as, as, as great as possible, but also not trying to steal the spotlight and I think the spotlight always has to be on Sterling and and the other writers but of course Sterling for creating the series the original writers I should say but you know Jordan Peele didn't have to do that you know he could have done what he did and not given it up at the end but he did it because that was just within him to do and and, and within the entire staff to do and it was just great to see that sort of respect as longtime fans like we are. I think for us that are listening to this show or that or that do these sorts of things or that keep up with the original Twilight Zone, I think it's not just the Twilight Zone. They even said it in the episode. It's not just campfire stories or it's not just the episodes or the capsules that they present for you. It is a writer's show and this was a writer's show through and through and it's about the people that write those stories because when you can go from one extreme to the other the way Rod Serling did and Charles Beaumont did and Walter Johnson and all the writers, that's that's what the show's about. It's about the people. And I'm I'm completely impressed. Like it's almost like to the point where I'm I'm still watching it twice. I'm still like so overjoyed that this is how they chose to end the season. They didn't do anything campy and and I think, you know, going back, you know, to the other revisions, I I know that, like, you know, Steven Spielberg was involved in the 80s one in several episodes and, and, and certainly in the movie. Um, 
and he had worked with Rod, you know, in Night Gallery, and I'm sure he had lots of respect for Rod Serling, but the overall vibe from all of those that I always got, even as a teenager and as a child watching them, was, we're going to improve this. Remember that black and white show that you loved? We're going to bring it into modern times. We're going to make it, we're going to make it like everything else, but it's still going to be the Twilight Zone, and that was just such a misguided way to do it. I... You know, watching this series, I'm solidified sort of in my thought that I've always had of not really digging the movie that much and not really digging the 80s series that much and certainly not really even watching the 90s series. So kudos to the show. I I just think it was really great. Um, I think, you know, to segue in, well, the one thing I wanted to say, too, the other thing that's great about like the connection that Jordan seems to have with Rod and with with the family legacy is just Rod Serling would have, in my opinion, not knowing him, of course, but like as a fan and reading a lot of his biography, he would have loved this episode and he would have loved to have been in this episode himself. What I think about next season and what I would expect, um, because I've heard you, Tom, like talk a lot about, you know, I think most of the guests that you've had on for the live shows, you know, that you've recorded, you've asked them like what their expectation is or what they want. At this point, like I'm very happy with the season I wouldn't change a thing I really wouldn't um I know that I send feedback in every week and there are some episodes that I like better than others but I don't hate any of the episodes um you know again this is a writer's show so I'm trying to watch it as a fan of writers and as a writer myself I try to like emulate what good writers do and you know it's like the old saying in baseball, you know, nobody knows baseball better than the backup catcher, you know, because he's always trying to study to get better. And, you know, I think that's part of like how you end up being a fan that hopefully has valid opinions on writing techniques and, and things that may not have worked or that did work. But I don't think there's one element of the entire first season that didn't work from a production, conceptual, acting point of view. Um, I, I thought every episode was acted well and and every episode was shot well, and the the effect that they had with the way that they shot it, the, the sort of like like faint color wash, sort of like irising that made all the episodes look similar, created what you needed to create to replicate the black and white feel of the original. I, I really can't complain about anything that they did during the season. Um, I There are episodes I like better than others, which we'll get to at the end when I wrap up, but I, I you know, I couldn't have asked for a much better show and a better representation of of Rod's legacy, which I think is the most important thing to all of us that are longtime fans that that participate in podcasts like this and and get on that level with it um, and bore all our friends with all the all the Twilight Zone details and, and trivia that we have in our heads. I think watching a show this respectful of that legacy and not just trying to do like a kooky you know, sort of revamped anthology show, that that's the best gift of all. And, and this show really paid homage to the original Twilight Zone and also created its own thing and owned it. You know, the thing that I really liked about that last episode, Blurry Man, was like how much like the conversation was geared, the behind the, the faux behind the scenes conversation, which I'm sure was from real conversations that were had to some degree, um, was really focused on driving home points and driving home what, what Rod would have been doing these days and, and living up to that legacy and, and living up to their own legacies as well. 
So that being said, I'm going to go worst to first, not because I want to call out the worst show in my opinion or anything like that, but because there's only 10 episodes. So why not do a top 10? And I couldn't, I really, myself, I couldn't limit it to five because I liked most of the episodes more than, more than far more than half. I liked and would watch again anytime. And, you know, even the, the original series has its episodes that people don't like. And, and to be honest, I think it goes without saying that the, the least episodes of the 156 episode run are, are far worse than the least episode of this 10 episode run. Small sample size, but you know, they did a good job filling some pretty big shoes. So I'll run through this, this backwards top 10 really quickly. I would say my least favorite episode was Blue Scorpion. I said it all last week. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Um, I would then say number nine is A Traveler. Uh, I think it was shot better, or not better, it just it just had more opportunity to look really, really dope compared to Blue Scorpion. Um, and Steve Yoon is just, I, I hope that he's back. The other thing that actually that brings me up to something, the one other thing that I did want to say as far as expectations or curiosities for season two is I'm really interested to see if any of the actors from this season come back and do totally different roles the way that you know Jack Klugman or Burgess Meredith did I would absolutely love to see Steve Yoon back number eight I would say the Wonderkind um you know when I first watched it I I had a severe problem with the just the the idea that a child could be elected president with no mystical element there and that, that is still a hang-up but the second half of the episode made me laugh, so that counts for something. So it ends up eight. Um, for me, number seven is Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Um, I know this is probably a favorite for many people, and I think at this point, seven on, we're at a stage for me personally where I think this is all the very good episodes that I would show anyone any of these seven episodes and say, here, here's, here's a taste of what this was, what they did. Um, I think the first three that I mentioned, I'd have a hard time like trying to convince somebody to be a fan. If that was the first episode they saw, they may like it more than me, but I don't know if I would start someone with those three. Uh, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, I would be comfortable showing that to somebody for the first time. My only hang up with it is as I compared it to the rest of the great episodes that are right next to it, I don't still understand the ending and it's not because it's open-ended, it's because I don't understand how that many people could survive a plane crash with almost no injuries. And I, I, I think that we're looking at a Tyler Durden thing, but I'm still not sure. And, you know, the podcast in the in the mystical radio that they were also like, you know, they also broke the, the Buck Houghton rule of like too many mystical elements happening at one time. Um, so there's some hang ups with this episode. But I think as a homage to the original I thought it was really well done and, and it just looked great. And, and Adam Scott was great. And Jordan Peele was great. And. It was a good episode, but it left me a little confused, enough confused that I would put Point of Origin ahead of it. You know, we talked about Point of Origin, um, well, not together, but all of us sort of have listened to each other on these feedbacks. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us thought it was a little on the nose. I didn't know if I had a problem with the on the noseness of it, besides the fact that it was on the nose too early. Um, I would have liked to have been at least faux surprised that we were talking about immigration or that we were making that sort of um, parallel maybe 20 minutes in instead of five minutes in. But that being said, 
as I said last week, that the more I thought about this episode, the scene with the woman that was explaining the other world to her in the hallway of the of the prison to me just completely makes this episode. I, I don't remember that woman's name, but she did an amazing job, and that whole dialogue was written so well. It's one of the high points of the entire season, I think, and it's buried in an episode that has some issues, but I also think it's great uh, at the same time. So we're into the top five. The next three episodes, to be honest, could be completely interchanged. Um, I think the next three are, you know, for now, you know, I think all of us that are Twilight Zone fans, we could all sort of like, you know, have a, uh, a, a different favorite from the original series every day. And to some degree, these three episodes, I think, are interchangeable to me in that way. So for now, I'm going to say number five is Replay. Everything was just totally in its place with this episode. I just watched it recently and just it was so well thought out. Every scene was shot perfectly and and everything that was included was necessary and added depth to the story. I noticed the, the scene where she was daydreaming, the mother was daydreaming about the future. And they were out on this grassy field with um, her son and her granddaughter. And I was just thinking like, wow, the amount of thought that it takes to include something like that to add the context to her worry um, really well done. Um, I then would go with Not All Men as number four. I thought Not All Men was was a terrific episode, and I thought, as I said, like it was the most Twilight Zone esque episode. You know, it just had some great moments. The birthday cake scene. You know, there, there it was just a great episode. I, I really thought it was really well done. Um, I would then go number three with Blurry Man, just because of the feeling that I got. Like when I watched it and Rod was there. And I think Zazay Beats is, is also terrific. She was great in Deadpool 2. And uh, it's just a really cool episode to see Jordan Peele as the creator of this show basically, you know, allow all of that to take place, to let his guard down, to sort of like play himself in a way where he's, you know, at times even rude during the episode. Because I'm sure, you know, as most of us that are creatives, that sometimes are in control of situations can be, you know, jerks. Um, so like putting that in there shows like such a humility. I thought it was really dope. Um, and then the, the final two for me, um, I think are probably the final two for a lot of people. Um, I also think they're a bit interchangeable. They're totally different episodes. Um, I would say number two, six degrees of freedom. I think building a bottle episode like that in space is an incredible idea and the fact that that entire set was built out of real things and not a cgi background just looked amazing to me and i hope that that inspires other people to do that it was just it felt like i was really on a spaceship and it looked amazing and it was a great episode and uh, for me number one is the comedian um i just thought it was the most moving in terms of dialogue and and for me twilight zone is about dialogue more than anything else and i i just Love the comedian, and um, it was a great way to start. They chose that episode to start the season for a very good reason. It set the tone as a serious show without hitting you over the head with anything too quickly, and they were going to address issues, but it was also sort of like that humanistic story that I think, you know, some people that have sent feedback in were looking for, and uh, that's how I feel. Um, I'm super excited. I, I'm you know, so happy to be a part of the show too. Uh, thank you, Tom, for for letting everybody send in feedback. Check me out online if you're curious. Um, uh, I, I don't. I try not to self promote on other people's shows, but um, 
since I've had the dedication to record so many times in a row. <laughs> I will say uh, I put out a record um, a little while ago as a collection of Twilight Zone in inspired music that I made uh, called Make Swimming Pools. I've, I've also put out several other albums, of course. And uh, you can find me at UncommonNASA.com. Man, I'm going to miss actually doing this until next year, but I'm also happy to sort of be able to go back to just being a listener again and uh, checking out everything you've got to say, uh, Tom. So peace out on 2019's Twilight Zone. Thank you, Nasser. Nasser, one of the 10 for 10 club. I should have kept note of who is in it, but one of the people who has commented on every episode of the new Twilight Zone in these listener feedback shows. Actually, it was nine for nine because we only did nine listener feedback shows, but we won't mention that. So to everyone, whether you emailed in, whether you contributed once or you contributed 10 times, I appreciate it. I think You know, this is why I do it. This community, this group of people who have all come together for the Twilight Zone. Doesn't matter if maybe one week it doesn't work for you and the next week it does. You know, we've all kept our heads, we've all kept it level and that's what it's about. And one of the most enjoyable things for me too was hearing everyone's feedback and as the week's gone on, people have kind of picked up on things that other people have said. And these listener feedback shows have kind of developed a language of their own too, you know, certain things that people have picked up on. Whether it's Harold Clark, the founding father of the No Trailers movement, or whether I I believe it was John who first used the term timeless or timely, and that's been said so many times. And then you got Chad just bringing that huge enthusiasm, a man with a big heart, an uncommon NASA, putting a nail on it at the end of each episode. We didn't agree all the time, but we agreed a lot of the time. And his gift is he can say in five or 10 minutes what it takes me an hour to say. There are too many people to thank by name, but believe me, I really thank you for contributing to this. When you put the word for something like this out, you never know how it's gonna go. But I think you have done the Twilight Zone proud by coming to this with an open mind and just kind of going with it. So thank you. Thank you to everyone, whether you've done it once or you've done it 10 times. I think this has been pretty great. Now, a couple of people have mentioned next year. Will we be doing the same thing next year that we've done this year? I will definitely be covering the new Twilight Zone. I don't care what anyone says. To not cover the new Twilight Zone would be ridiculous. And I want to cover it. And I think the majority of people want me to cover it too. I think this time round, I've been kind of lucky. My schedule has been so that I can do these two shows every week. I've been able to record every weekend. Whether that's going to be the same next year, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see, you know, but I, I would really like it to be because I think it's been great. You know, it's an event, but we're going back to classic Twilight Zone for now. So let's cross that bridge when we come to it. So next time on the Twilight Zone podcast, we are looking at Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. That'll probably be a couple of weeks away because this is a fan-funded show and the, the supporters on Patreon are the ones who pay the hosting fees. 
pay for the equipment if something breaks down and they've been very patient while I've covered this new show. I've still been putting a few bits on there but it's been a little more scattershot uh, than it previously was. So I'm going to take a couple of weeks to repay them with a bit of content over there and that's patreon.com slash Podcast. New listeners might not be aware, but I left the podcast for about eight episodes back in uh, 2014, and good friends of the show Luke came on board and did those shows. But I'm doing my own version of those shows over on Patreon, and that's what I'm in the middle of right now. So I'm going to get the next one of those out, which is called The After Hours, and then I'll be back for Hocus Pocus and Frisbee on this feed. So I hope you've enjoyed the coverage. It's it's been a ride. It's been great. It's been exhausting. But I'm going to take a a step back from New Twilight Zone for now to just let things, you know, settle in. And I can't wait till the Blu-ray comes out. And then I'm going to go through it all again. Not on the show, but in my own time, in my own space. And I'm looking forward to that. Let's hope it's a great Blu-ray edition. All right. Well, that's enough from me. And I will speak to you next time in the Twilight Zone.